You are listening to Legion of Substitute Podcasters, episode 631. We look back on Keith Giffen's run on the Legion five years later. Welcome to episode 631 of Legion of Substitute Podcasters. I am Paul French, and right now I am Kettlebell Kid. Oh. I, um, you know, had to, had to, got to close the rings, got to close the rings on the, uh, on the watch here. And, uh, so I was doing that before I got up here. And then while I was waiting for everything to boot up properly, I thought, well, I'll just bring the kettlebell up with me. And now I am icing my elbow. So, <laughs> oh. Oh. so that'll teach me. Goodness. <laughs> there, 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 is no, uh, there is no reward for good intentions. <laughs> no, none whatsoever. None. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so that's my injury of the day. I'm sure there's more to talk about. <laughs> Over to you, Sarah. Uh, hi everybody. I am Darren Noel, and tonight I am eating everything in the fridge, kid, mm. because I have a small fridge and I have to make room for Thanksgiving stuffs. So That's right. I gotta make sure I've got room for the turkey and the sides and uh, all that jazz. So I'm making mm. out my meal plan for the week. Nice. I gotta gotta make sure I clean everything out and get it all ready for the the gluttoning. Is that next is week or the week after? <laughs> uh, it'll be two Thursdays from. Week and a half from now. Okay. Yeah, week and a half. Okay. Give or take. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. We got to order everything like by Saturday or Sunday. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Because you know. Because mm, <laughs> because things. Yeah. Things things are happening. Yeah. Things are. When when your Google search is all, how long does a frozen turkey take to thaw? You know, and you plan backwards from there. <laughs> yes. You don't want to wake up and say, "Hey, I got the turkey on Wednesday. It's as hard as a rock." Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Call pizza. Yeah. Yeah, it's the, uh, the, the, the I always use the um, the, the uh, not put it in the microwave. <laughs> the Butterball site has an awesome calculator um, mm-hmm. that I that I use to to basically say like okay, so it's going to be this many people, mm-hmm. and we want leftovers for like weeks. So, <laughs> so <laughs> and uh, and so it'll calculate. Here's the size bird you need. Here's how long it's going to take you to thaw. Mm-hmm. Here's how long it's going to take to cook. I don't know what their surmising with the cooking time because i find it's never accurate because it's always cooked yeah it's never way accurate. before what they say and no, it's um never accurate yeah so but but I, the thoughts but the, the thought uh, time is mm-hmm. is solid the thoughts well so to speak right the thought yes, time's good it's, but it's less yeah. I, I actually go back to alton brown's uh romancing the bird episode of good eats yes that is a perfect thanksgiving meal yeah it perfect. really is yeah and tells you how to do everything. If you just do that, you're good. <laughs> I mean, it's practically, practically foolproof. I mean, he lays it all out there for you. So, yeah, see so now, well, Darren. I don't think I ever told you. One year, jeez, oh, like five or six years ago, we were all going to my dad's for Thanksgiving, and my stepmom, the night before Thanksgiving, and she had the majority of the food laid out mm-hmm. and ready to cook at her place. Oh yeah. Well, had a medical emergency and ended up going to the emergency room. Yeah, I was like. So me, my grandma, and my sister-in-law ended up trying to figure out from all the food she had laid out and ingredients and everything else how to make 
Thanksgiving dinner ourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she ended up getting released at around lunchtime on Thanksgiving Day and getting home right as we finished everything. And somehow we didn't burn anything. We didn't nice. run anything. Shocking. <laughs> Good for you. It was the three of us just kind of going crazy the whole time. Like, okay, what what do we do with this? What 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 is this here? What is this? I don't even know. What you is know, this just... for? Yeah. <laughs> What does this do? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's a lot of moving parts to make Thanksgiving dinner. It really yes, is. Absolutely. Especially when you have the added burden of family imposed upon you. It's bad enough to cook a meal for yourself. Um, but, to, but to cook a feast for, you know, a herd of 10 or 15 or 20. And, it, and it's so true. And I find I always find like I'll I'll be I'll be cooking stuff and uh and my father in law come in and he'll just, you know, basically park himself there and start talking. And it's yeah. like I'm like, just just give me a minute. Just give me a minute. I'm not <laughs> And you're in the way. I've got them tripping over you. Someone take the kids outside, run them around. I'm like, I'm like do not mess with my critical path. <laughs> no, no, get out of the way. Get out of the way. You know, it's, uh, Thanksgiving is one of those meals where you have a side down here in the South, sweet potatoes. Mm-hmm. You know, that's dessert as part of your main sides. Right, you know? right. It's, it's a thing we do. Yeah. I'm tempted to make the triple cake this year, mm. which uh, you've probably seen it online. It is a pecan pie on the bottom, and in the middle is a pumpkin pie, and on the top is spice cake. So it's basically like the turducken of cakes? It's like a turducken, but for dessert. Yeah. <laughs> really I'm really tempted to do it this year. Oh, I'm my really God, like... yes. So, Darren, do you do sweet potato casserole? Yeah, totally. Darren, do you, Darren. Do, you do uh, pecans and brown sugar on top or marshmallows? Pecans and brown sugar. Nice. Never yes. marshmallows. And but I'll Darren, tell you why. Darren, have you heard the story of Icarus? Yes. Yes, I've heard the don't, story. Don't fly of... too close to the sun. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be fine. I'll be fine. It, hey, if it goes wrong, it goes wrong. It's Thanksgiving solo this year. So, you know, I'll be FaceTiming family. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. So they don't need to see my mistakes. I'll keep those in the kitchen. That's right. right. That's so. right. And Darren, the reason I ask, I saw a poll on that. It's like, which do you choose, the brown sugar and the pecans or marshmallows? And I was just like, where whoa. is the both option? Whoa, 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 whoa. Marshmallows <laughs> and pecan is a thing? No, marshmallow. usually it's marshmallows or brown sugar and pecans on top of your sweet potato souffle. I'm all for both. Oh, oh, oh specifically. I, I don't do both. It makes it too sweet. I, I find this this whole marshmallow thing. Ugh. <laughs> my family put marshmallows on top of their their souffle too it was awful yeah. and i hate it and yeah I hate it, it, it. it marshmallow turns into this weird texture if it's been cooled and reheated it's really not that great and marshmallow is the one thing beyond cranberry sauce that doesn't go with anything else on the plate right it's just yeah. too sweet it's too it's sweet. too gooey mm. so you know i i have a weird know, thing it, where i kind of hate cooked uh marshmallows Oh my goodness! I, I eat them raw. <laughs> like an animal. You oh, are an fine. animal. Can I tell you a secret? Can Just I, give I, me all I, the small pieces. I'm good to go. I've, I've got yeah. a friend, and he and I will go grocery shopping together sometimes, just to talk and shoot the breeze and everything while we're taking care of an errand. And he will will go down the baking aisle, and he'll grab a bag of marshmallows, and go. And hold them lasciviously to himself, and I'm like, I mean, this this is disturbing. I'm People, not going to say I need to be 500 feet that. away from the marshmallow aisle at all times because you just date raped that entire. Bag. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm not going to say I haven't done that before. Uh-huh. <laughs> He'll be pleased to know he's not the only one. Yes. I'm actually I'm Amazoning him some marshmallows for Christmas. 
nice. just because it's appropriate. Yeah, he can do that in the comfort of his own home, <laughs> not where people can have to see him. He never buys the marshmallows, by the way. So, by the <gasps> way, if you're in Atlanta, mm. um, you, your marshmallows oh. have probably been groped. Oh, hell <laughs> if you're no. You're in the metro area. <laughs> that I'm not going to buy. That's just not courteous. Mm. Yeah, that ain't right. Like I said, date raped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Date raped marshmallows. That I meant it. <laughs> ain't right. And after that, Travis, <laughs> over to you. <laughs> I don't see if I can make mine as long as yours. Uh, uh, hey, now. Genetics. <laughs> genetics, sir. Genetics. Wow. Uh, hey, everybody. This is Travis Elsor. And uh, these past couple of weeks, actually, I have been um, Charlton Heroes Archives lad. Oh, nice. Um, so a couple months ago, I went to this comic shop and I saw the first archive edition of the Charlton Action Heroes, which was mostly... Uh, actually, the first volume is all Steve Ditko at Captain Adam stories. Oh, uh, yeah. wow. And I was like, man, I, I don't even remember these existing, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I got to researching, and there was a second volume, which went into his Blue Beetle and his question stories, mm. uh, mostly Ditko. Um, and there was supposed to be a third volume, but of course, Archives Line got canceled. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is still stupid. But uh, and it was going to go into Judo Master, and man, I'd kill to have that. Oh, seriously. But anyway, I ended up uh, eBaying and watching some auctions on these things, and watching some auctions, and eventually got some for pretty good price. Um, so I've been reading these, and let me give you my little mini review here. Yeah. The first volume is the first I don't know couple couple years I guess of Captain Adam stories, mm -hmm. and uh, so it's first appearance of Captain Adam. The stories are like the first half are basically Captain Adam avoids a nuclear war with Russia over and over and over. And over. <laughs> <laughs> then they finally have something where he encounters some aliens from Venus and they're, they send him back to Earth and before he can do anything. And they're like, they're like, we're going to bring you back when we're ready for you. And then that goes nowhere. Yeah. I was like, oh, they're finally going to have a continuing story. No, no, they're not. No. Mm -hmm. Then they finally start to introduce a few supervillains, and it kind of gets more interesting. Uh, but you see Steve Ditko like kind of grow into himself as an artist here. Uh, it's pretty interesting. It's all like uh, I believe it's all pre-Marvel work. Was uh, it? Was it that that yeah. early? Wow. Yeah, this is the first round. Then he goes to Marvel for a while. Then when he comes back, that's where the archives volume two are. So this is this is before Spider-Man. Yes. Wow. So then the second one uh, is when Dick Giordano goes to Charlton whoa, and whoa, has to whoa, bring the superheroes Captain, back. Captain Adam predates Spider-Man? Yes. Huh. Amazing. I mean, Spidey's what, 1960-something? 61. 61. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, Fantastic Four was... Yeah, it's not far off. You're right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Fantastic sure Four was like my... 58. Yeah, Captain Adam first appeared in 19... 19... Sixty, I think. Sixty is Wikipedia. Yeah. It says. Yeah. Okay, so right, so it's, it's right before he went to Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. So then he goes to Marvel for a while, and Dick Giordano he took over uh, as being editor over there at Charlton. Paul's favorite person. Love yes. Dick Giordano. I love Giordano. So yeah, he brought Dicko back, and that's what the second volume is. He comes in and he wants to do some action heroes. Is what he called them. He wanted to do heroes that didn't really have powers. Or had, or mm -hmm. were not, you know, like not all Superman type powers, you know. Mm -hmm. So the first thing they did is took Captain Adam, redesigned him, uh, gave him the silver arm look. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. and uh, kind of reduced his powers a little bit because in the first volume, I mean, he's just he can do yeah. anything. Yeah, he's, that's where Doctor Manhattan comes from, honestly. Oh, totally. Yeah, because he he does everything that because whatever they could think of were like atomic powers, he did it. Uh, so then uh, they bring in Nightshade. It's her first appearance. Mm-hmm. Uh, first appearance of Punch and Julie. First appearance of Ted Cord. First appearance of the Question. So um, Dicto, Dicko uh, rejiggered Blue Beetle from his previous version, right? Right. Ted Dan Garrett, they brought they left Dan Garrett in uh, continuity, but right. they wanted he wanted to have a Blue Beetle that didn't have superpowers. He was a regular man, right? Uh, so that's no, part of the mystery. Like they actually have a ongoing plot line. Those first six or seven issues of Blue mm-hmm. Beetle what happened to Dan Garrett. It's kind of a mystery mm-hmm. at first. Oh, and by the way, uh, Spider-Man first appearance, August, 1962. Oh, okay. okay. So they, so a couple yeah. years before. Yeah. 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 And, uh, then the bring in the question starts as a backup in blue beetle when that, cause blue beetle first yes. appears as a backup in captain Adam. Then yeah. blue beetle gets his own book and question appears as a backup there. And then the question got got Night Owl and Rorschach. I was was just going to say exactly that, yes. (laughs) Which, oddly, there's never an actual team-up issue of those two, but, like, Vic Sage will show up in a Blue Beetle story, but he won't appear as the question. Mm. (laughs) He'll just be, like, the journalist guy. That actually is, okay, so... And that makes sense, What you're describing with, like, all these, like, ongoing plot lines and, like, guest characters coming in, that sounds really advanced for 1960. Well, this was uh, after well, that, though, right? Marvel was doing it. It's a, well, yeah, Marvel was doing it. Yeah, like, this was really after that, it? right? So yeah, yeah. DC was the only ones oh, who yeah. were like, no, no, the, we only have Justice League and World's Finest for team-ups. Yeah, the 1960 yeah, stuff was... Well, no, 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 I'm not talking about team-ups. I'm talking about ongoing stories across multiple issues and having the... Like, building a world with, like, a with like a guest character who's the secret identity of another superhero, but not the superhero itself. That's yeah, Marvel did that a lot. Yeah, Marvel okay. did that a lot. And, DC did not. And th- and this was after that, right? Like, so this yeah. was when he came back uh, when Giordano brought. Yeah, him this back. is after yeah. he left yeah. uh, Spider Man with a because there was Fallout with Stanley after right. he left Doctor Strange and Spider Man. Yeah, and honestly, the beginning of Blue Beetle is a lot like Spider Man. Very uh, much. He's very much a joking hero. The cops don't trust him. Uh, it's, it's very Spider Man ish. Swings around. Yeah, kind of. Well, uh, he he appeared like that in Crisis when he showed up. Yeah. He was swinging from the bug and yeah. doing the quippy thing. So yeah, yeah that, that's that's where all that came from. I mean, that was the only yeah. stuff they had. Yeah, uh, that was. What character is he? Oh, he's Spider Man in, in blue. Okay, got it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then the question, the question starts off okay, and then the question starts getting into let's see, uh, Ditko's philosophies. Of course, uh, it does. Oh, very much. Yeah. And then it gets really, really, really into his philosophies. They give it, uh, the question his own book called Mysterious Suspense. Mm. And as far as I could tell, it's one issue. It's a 26-page story yeah. in which the question is actually in maybe 10 panels. Yeah. And the rest of it is very, very wordy panels of Ditko's thoughts about a moral stance on some sponsor on Vic Sage's show. It is such a pain to read. Oh my god. You know, and and and, th- and and it's funny because like that's where Denny O'Neill took a lot of the sort of the phys- philosophical side of it, but still but made there be action around it. And yeah, did, I love Denny O'Neill's question. Yeah. 
Yeah, and he jettisoned all the uh, Ayn Rand objectionism. Oh, yeah, objectivism. yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you can tell he went, like, he he went, to the point where no one was reigning in Ditko on that. Yeah, he went down a Zen path instead of a... Uh... <laughs> you, you, you really, you wonder how much Stan Lee held him back, like as far as all this stuff. And oh, yeah. God bless Stan Lee for doing uh, it. I mean, better to some people than others. Stan Lee held a lot of people back. Uh, well, th- this was a good way for him to hold them back. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. kept Kirby away from from crazy headgear, which was nice. You know, uh, no, was you gotta let that go. Was it I know, I know, teasing. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so uh, then it goes to the published issues, but then the archives also include uh, some of the issues that never got uh, regular published, like they came out in the Charlton portfolio, the yes. Charlton Bullseye. That's right. The oh black yes, and white stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we get like. The last couple of uh, Captain Adam stories, which they came in, and I guess Ditko had only done the pencils. Yeah. So Roger Stern comes in and scripts them, and John Byrne inks them. And this oh. is John Byrne before he ever went to Marvel. Wow. Uh, yeah. This is like early 70s John Byrne. Uh-huh. And it, it looks good. Like, I don't like most of the inking on Ditko unless he does it himself, but John mm-hmm. Byrne's inks on him look really good. Oh, that's interesting. And, and then it even then the last story in there is a uh, a question story drawn by Alex Toth, who I never <gasps> even knew drew a question story. No, and it's fantastic. And well, it's by it's Alex uh, Toth. Come on, and, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's a Roger Stern uh, thing. And I guess it, really? Toth maybe drew that in the last days of Charlton, and then they went under, so it was just sitting around. Yeah, I guess I don't know. But uh, that's that's pretty cool. And those are all in black and white. And there's uh, another couple, I think one or two more Beatle stories that never got published, and they brought them back too. And you could tell in the Beatle run, they were starting to get more philosophical with Ditko, and they're like, yeah, oh, man, yeah, it's no yeah. longer fun. Yeah. You're starting to get that. It's a good thing it kind of ended before he kind of went too wild on it because I don't think it would have sold anyway. Yeah. People would have got tired of that. And after that, you know, he was sporadic in the rest of his runs. I mean, I love Ditko's art, but when he writes just by himself, it tends to, I don't know, it, it's too much. I, um, I, yeah, I, I got the, um, the Creeper uh, omnibus out of the library a little while back. And, um, and, you know, it starts out great and it gets, you know, I mean, I mean, then it was more of a psychedelic thing, really. But yeah, it, it gets a little tedious uh, as as you go through. I mean, it's that the art is gorgeous, it's dynamic, but it's like, all right, enough. He he needs to talk less. <laughs> yeah. it, 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 it's interesting to me how guys like Dicko and uh, Dave Sim can like go completely off the rails when they're put off the, you know, off the chain. Yeah. But like uh-huh. someone like uh, like uh, Gerber can do it and like be really entertaining. Yes. Yeah. Very much. It's very all much. on how you craft the message. It's I mean, that's it. Like, that's it. Yeah. It, you know, it's I, it's all in how you how you encapsulate that message to, uh, yeah. Like Howard Howard the classic Howard the Duck is that kind of like social commentary sort of like examination of like society and it it's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing I'm rereading right now is uh, I got the color reprints on all of Gerber's Howard run. And I've previously only read the essentials. I read all the black and white stuff, but it didn't have all the guest appearances. And these color editions have everything. Yeah. Hmm. And they they read real, like you said, they kind of go off on the uh, Gerber going off on different things, but they read really, really smoothly, really quick. Like yeah. uh, they're entertaining. 
No, for sure. He, he knew how to keep it contained. But also, I just want to say, as a big 80s DC fan with Suicide Squad and the yeah. question and all that, reading all this early mm. stuff, especially like Punch and Julie and Nightshade and all their first appearances, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, man, this is awesome. It's totally. I know them from the squad, you know? Speaking of the squad, did you see the the notice that Stallone has yes. got a role? Yes, and then, I and then saw that. I don't maybe, know maybe they sent the Expendables in first. Possible. <laughs> oh, gosh. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's all the people who get died and blow apart from the movie or the building in the first part of the movie. I don't know. Yes. But I'm like, I'm now intrigued because I'm like, who could he possibly be? Hmm. Yeah, I was on. I was on board from when they said that it was going to be gone. Star Hawking. No, I, 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 no I I'm, I'm guessing. I'm guessing Sergeant Rock. Actually. Ooh. Oh, damn, that that's possible. Oh. That's very possible. Yes, because that's, that, that's my guess. Later version. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Either that. Either that, or somebody who's going to get bumped <laughs> off in the first wave, along with uh, Nathan Fillion's group. Yeah. Uh, well, they, I mean, I think they've already filmed all that stuff. Though. And, you know, yeah, they could already they could also, that. you know, with that, they could also make the joke that, you know, yeah, well, he was expendable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they certainly <laughs> could so make that easy. joke for sure. <laughs> it's right there. Maybe he'll just be Rambo with all the serial numbers filed off. Yeah. <laughs> first name, his first name's John. That's all you know about him. Get John on the phone. No, that's, that's Bloodshot, and they've already got him in the, uh, is it Bloodshot? Well, yeah, Blood Blood, a valiant uh, character. Blood Sports, sir. Blood, Blood Sport, Sports. that's it. Yeah. Blood Sports already in the Suicide Squad. But Blood Sport could know this guy. So there's that. Yeah. Anyway. Who knows? Anyway, over to you, Michael. Oh, I thought we were almost done. Um, <laughs> nope. So uh, I am uh, Michael Grabois, and this weekend I am Dragon Rider Lad. Yeah. Uh, and in honor of the astronauts who launched today as we record this, yesterday or earlier this week as you listen to this, um, launched astronauts up to the International Space Station. And after more than nine years, we finally have a vehicle that is certified to launch from the U.S. and fly in space so that we don't have to spend $85 million per seat uh, when we fly astronauts on Russian ships. That's amazing. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Got an email from my kid's teacher uh, 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 tonight, and uh, he says that they're going to be watching. He's, he's got it so that they can watch the launch tomorrow. And, uh, and uh, you know, he's he's every bit as excited about him. I'm just like, I wish I could go to the class. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's it for amazing. me. What were you, Jim? Hey, everyone. I am Jim Purcell, and this week I was, um, how do I phrase this? Uh, I ate shit, kid. Uh Oh. Oh. All right. So that's not literal. That's not literal. Are you Uh, divine? um, What are are you doing? I may also be dream girl. So here's how it goes down. You Uh, prophesied that you were going to eat shit, and then you did? I did. That's exactly oh how it went down. Oh, my God. And we and always know that his powers, all, his predictions always come true. Take a Everybody drink. Everybody take a drink. Make sure <laughs> so, it's not fecal. So it was uh, <laughs> raining a bit earlier this week, yeah. and I live on the second floor of an apartment, mm-hmm. and I have wooden stairs. And yeah. over the last few years, they've gotten a bit um, gross with yeah. algae. Uh-huh. 
Oh, oh yeah. My. And the rain and the algae made the stair steps slick. And I look, yep. and I'm standing on the stoop, and I'm looking down, and I see the wet stairs, and I kind of see how it looks a little off green. And the only thing I could think of is, I'm going to slip and fall on my ass. Oh, no. Because I'm also wearing sneakers with no treads, because I'm an oh. idiot. No. Well. And I go, nah. And I go, nah. <laughs> no, nah, I'm aware. It's fine. I got my hand on the rail. First oh. step, foot goes straight no. out from under me. But um, but 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 so Hold I on, have, I'm falling down the stairs. I'm halfway down now. <laughs> I uh, I have uh, I have bruised myself in a very uncomfortable location. You don't. How's uh, your coccyx? My coccyx is is quite swollen. Uh, fortunately, I didn't break anything. I think I couldn't walk if I had actually broken it. But uh, you would be shocked at the number of things your butt clench muscle is involved in. I would not. You in the standing up, with the sitting had down. To do that, didn't you? <laughs> Uh, I would I would recommend that you have a talk with your uh, with your landlord or the 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 front office people. Yeah. Um, because that is a lawsuit waiting to happen. It is. Yeah. I'm gonna like I'm gonna probably since, get some Clorox and just spray them down. And since you have already fallen, uh, you could present them with doctor bills if uh, you so chose. Yeah, I don't have insurance right now, so I did not go to the doctor. Yeah. Are you in pain though? I am in pain for now. It's only been three days, but it's 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 no longer as debilitating as it was on day one. And that's a go talk to him tomorrow. Yeah, yeah seriously. Talk to them Monday morning because that's some bullshit. That's not. And, and for the law, I know workers comp. You've got to report that within twenty four forty eight hours. I know this is not workers comp, but you know, they might say, "Well, you took so long to report this, sir." Blah blah blah. You know, um, yeah, that's. Mm-mm. Did you say dough a lot when you went down? Like, don't, 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 it, it was, don't. It was a strange experience. I've fallen down the stairs similarly before. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of, as you're going down, you realize, ah, oh, crap, is this it? Am I going to finally break a bone? Because I've never broken a bone in my life. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's same, not fun. Same, same. It's, yeah. it's even Me worse either. when you get older. And I sit there on the bottom step getting wet and going, what's it going to be like when I pull myself up here? Yeah, yeah. And that whole grabbing the rail thing when you when you said that you did that, it gives you a fake confidence. Yeah. And unfortunately, when when your foot goes, the rest of your body's going with gravity. Right. And your did your hand go off the rail or did you wrench your arm? I didn't wrench my arm. I did. I I did not. I did not wrench my arm. I'm pretty pretty sure I just let go of it when I went down. Oh, it's dude. when you don't let go, it's worse. Believe it or not. Yeah, right. Because your arm's messed up. Yeah. Yeah. You messed the rotator. Ugh. Yeah, you know yeah, it's nasty no. business. Like I, I always remember um, there was this hill when I was in uh, when I, my first year of university. There was a hill just out, uh, just basically between um, my dorm and the parking lot, and um, and they 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 used to be a tradition of tray bargaining. So basically, all of the trays would disappear from the cafeteria. <laughs> And people would uh, would slide down it on on them, and so like in the spring when when you had the thaw, all of a sudden you'd see like all of these trays that had been buried under snow all winter. Oh Jesus! And um, so my friends and I, after uh, after a night of it, uh, we're heading out for uh, for for uh, for brunch on the Sunday, and we tray bogged down the side of this. And at one point, I hit a big bump. And oh. lifted up and came down right on the old coccyx. And, oh, yeah. Uh, the coccyx and, is. Oh, my mm. God. And so I know exactly what you feel. But I was like 20 at the time. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, the worst. Spill so I, I literally had. could bounce. <laughs> so back in like 2001, I was going to college. I also had a job, but anyway, I was living with my grandparents up in their uh, up on their second floor, and I was in socks, and I was coming down the stairs that go up there, and my feet went out from under me. But what happened there is one of my feet got under my butt, mm. and I went thump a thump a thump a thump a. Yeah, <laughs> all the way to the bottom, and I broke my middle three toes. Oh, yeah. That... Fun, fact, fun fact, they can't do anything about broken toes. Nope. No. Nope. So I just had three grapes for a foot yep. uh, for a couple months. <laughs> I did that in one of Atlanta's infamous um, ice storms. Mm. I slammed my, I went out from under sorry, my, sorry, my feet. Sorry, sorry, Darren, you have to say ice that storms. doing, infamous. you have to do that doing air quotes. Ice um, storms. I'm sorry. There was ice all over the ground where Rich, it should not please. be because <laughs> that's not a, what we do down here. He's from a place that doesn't know how to deal with ice, so really. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know, so, but that's yeah, why I say worse, air quotes, really. please. <laughs> and my, my foot went out from underneath me and slammed into the wrought iron on the patio. Dang. And I, I mm. broke two toes. Hobbled for like two weeks, mm. basically, because there's nothing they can do about a broken toe. There's nothing. Just done. stay off of it. That's literally stay off of it. Yep. I mean, I got a bone that's healed crooked because of it. Yep. Mm. It ain't pretty, kids. All right. Well, stay careful out there, everyone. Welcome so, to Injury Cast. Fun times. Yes. Injury exactly. Cast. Take a drink. Take a drink. <laughs> and the problem is, is when you do that to yourself, you end up doing a silly walk. Take a drink. Oh, take a drink. <laughs> All right. Speaking of, speaking of that, I actually I watched the entire season four of The Crown today, really? and I gotta say, it's amazing. Cool. You will not recognize Gillian Anderson as Margaret Thatcher. Oh my god, that is uncanny. I I, I have yeah. seen I've seen the uh, the trailer for it. I'm like, like, where's Scully? I don't yeah. see Scully. No, at all. no, she is you totally. Got, you gotta watch it. It's amazing. Awesome. Uh, amazing. Anyway, enough of that. <laughs> All right, kids, let's get Aren't into we a Legion podcast. What happened? What? What? Um, <laughs> let's uh, get into some Legion news. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a new um, Michael. Did we have a new uh, solicit? I think you said we do. Thread. Unless anybody else wants to read it. No, go ahead. No, go for it. All right. Legion or future state colon Legion of Superheroes number two uh, written by Brian Michael Bendis art and cover by Riley Rosmo. Cardstock variant cover by Ian McDonald <clears throat> on sale February 23rd, uh, 2021. The unthinkable has happened. One of the legionnaires has betrayed the entire galaxy. So take a drink for a legion trader. Oh, mm-hmm. yes. The United Planets is in ruins. The team has been scattered across the cosmos and madness reigns on multiple worlds. Now the surviving Legionnaires are just discovering the real truth behind what happened to their dream of a new age of heroes. Mm. Don't miss this shocking twist a thousand years in the making. Dun, dun, from, the team, dun. from the team of Bendis and Rosmo. Cool. All right. Well then. I think that's it as far as Legion News goes. That is it. Um, Darren, you watched the... Uh, um, the Tom Beerbaum interview. I did. It was actually really good. There's a there's a Tom and Mary Beerbaum um, interview out there that is was done by um, the Heroes Con people, 
Mm-hmm. And that's um, in Charlotte, North Carolina. So that's fairly close to my home base. And um, it was a really good um, interview. I found them very, uh, very personable and very honest about things. And a lot of it was about who actually did what, because it was, there was a lot of chefs in the, you know, in yeah. the kitchen yeah. in the five year later run, lots of cool, you know, insights, everything we've, we've pretty much covered most of what they mentioned on, on our podcast. Right. So going through, um, Tom's blog. Um, so there, there weren't any really big revelations, you know, mm-hmm. about it, but mm-hmm. it was kind of nice to hear them talk about, um, their roles that Tom was the, like they would get the breakdowns from Giffen and Tom would do the scripting. And then Mary was kind of like the, the person who would work on dialogue right. with him because it's important for dialogue to sound, you know, yeah. like dialogue and not like a writer wrote dialogue. Right. So um, that was something that they worked really hard on together to yeah. try to get the cadence of the characterization down yeah. a little more. Yeah. So yeah, it was a good, it was a good interview. We should really post it to our site and, if we haven't already, maybe we have, but we should probably post it again. Yeah. But yeah. it was a really good interview. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, I think that, you know, that, that there is like, um, from what I remember, they, they talked about her, you know, she, she would say it out loud. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, and just like, you know, like, does this really scan? And, um, and, and, and there, there's a reason that, that, some of the some of the dialogue, the, the sort of the back and forth, it was that kind of broken sentence sort of thing, like people actually talk, mm-hmm. and um, where where it's it's not always in a complete, perfectly grammatical uh, sentence. Sometimes they are sentence fragments, and um, and and those are things that people actually do, and uh, so so it was really interesting, sort of how she. Um, you know, he would kind of do it, it like almost like that second pass, like the the reality check, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's like any any uh, any TV show does the, does the table read before they go to shoot stuff, right? So that they can listen to what the writers wrote and say, like, would somebody actually say this? Yeah, and, you know, it takes or me back. Doesn't fit my character for whatever reason, right? So yeah, yeah, and it's, it's just a good double check to go. Yeah, Wait, does this absolutely, sound right? Absolutely, does it sound like the thing they would say? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that was a, it was a neat sort of wor- discussion of their work process. I really enjoyed that. Very cool. All right. So let's get down to, to the business. <laughs> we got business? We got business. Um, we're going to talk about um, some guy. I can't remember his name. Um, Lemnos? Lemnos. <laughs> No, you said you I think, think that's a different yeah, run. Yeah. I really wait. think that's a different no, run. No, wait, wait, wait. It was that guy who. Uh, no, yeah, yeah. I I don't know what you just said, Michael, but um, I, I've already forgotten it. I think. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, we're gonna talk about Keith Giffen. Um, because I mean, one of the things we all remember, and 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 you know, most of us on this. You know, there's there's three out of five of us that remember it specifically at the time, and um, and the other two of you kind of learned it after the fact. But you know, for us, it, it was you know this, this idea of like you know we had read some Legion before, and then Giffen came on, and it was like holy crap, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. I mean, a, a visually alone, he he brought a whole new vibe to it. 
Um, you know, he kind of, uh, you know, at first, you know, kind of subtly redesigned the world that they lived in. And, um, and, and, you know, he, he, he would, you know, a little bit more would change about it each, each issue. And he would bring in these, these different things that, that, that made it seem more actually futuristic. And, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of which, you know, still kind of holds up. Um, I mean, there are some things that it's just like, Hey, how could they have known? Um, <laughs> well, I mean, but there are other things that seem somewhat predictive. I mean, I mean, when we talk about the artists on Legion, I yeah. mean, obviously you, you, you had Kurt Swan ish yeah. style at the beginning for sure. And that's and, 50 and sci-fi really domes get, and, uh, domes and, yeah. and rings. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't really get a style to Legion until Cockrum and Grell yeah. came in, you know, yeah. really? Uh, I mean, I, I, maybe it's, maybe it's just because, you know, it's a, it's an era, but when I look at, um, Kurt Swan era, Legion. Mm-hmm. I see that as like a defining style. Well, it was. It was just the beginning. But if you're talking about art, new artists coming in and changing things, I think you, you have to you look, look at, at Cockrum and Grell versus and Kurt then Swan take, versus Kurt Swan taking over for uh, for John Fort. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, it was kind of the, Swan kind of kept the whole uh, the the future. Look. The aesthetic remain the same, is what you're yes. saying? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Nothing really changed between them. Yeah, me no big words well. Yeah, it was, but, but it was very, it was has very the, sort has of... Has Glorith turned you into a baby? But it was very 50s sci-fi, right? Like, like, yeah. like very Jetsons. It was, it was that very Jetsons yeah. kind of aesthetic, yeah. But and then when you got Cockrum, you got more of a diversification of the characters for sure oh without a doubt yeah and then when grell you got more of the disco costumes where we're gonna sell sex in outer space which that worked and in the 70s, but, but and also going on in and, you know, reality and too. he also started work he also started doing more with the design of the world and yep. that uh, you know where where started to move away a bit from all of that um mm-hmm. and that was very much his uh you know, we've already talked about how you know he, there was some Star Trek influence for him, mm-hmm. and uh, and but you know, I mean, as much as uh, there was still a lot of domes and rings, even when uh, even during like the Conway run, right? Like even during that, yes, there were things that were like you know kind of neat, like look at this kind of weird technology we've got. But when Giffen came in, that's when we started getting things like the. Um, you know, like 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 the 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 world the 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 future world changed very much then, and uh, and it just seemed that we got something that was very different, rather than a hey, here's what would happen if we enhanced this a bit, you know, if the, if we added a bit to this, but it was still very very much that that um, that old fifties sci fi kind of thing, and uh, and when Giffen came in, I mean the visual style was huge like the the overall aesthetic you know and and i mean he was doing a lot of things with color holds that gave it that kind of uh holographic look and that sort of thing and uh and that was you know pretty new process at the time mm-hmm. um so that was that was a, a, a big part of it, it too is that the, the the technology that they were using to print comics had changed enough that they could do things like a color hold and um and so he he very much changed that, and as as we learned when we when we talked to Paul Levitz, is that you know 
pages would come back, and sometimes they'd have exactly what he uh, scripted, and sometimes there'd be other stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so there was uh, there was kind of a push pull that that they had there because <clears throat> he wasn't just an artist; he was also a writer, and uh, and so he brought in sort of new flavors to things. Um, like think of that that. I mean, I know uh, it wasn't his first issue, but it was kind of the first, um, you know, he was only just the, uh, the he, you know, I mean, the, um, what was it? Um, Lonely, uh, Lonely Corner in, in, of Hell. Um, that was his, his first real issue. But, but you know, mm-hmm. a lot of us think of the annual as being yeah. really his starting point, right? And think of the way that they illustrated, um, you know, when, when uh, Starboy and Sunboy were playing uh, D&D, right? Yeah, and, that and whole the way, holographic. And it was all the color Sorry, yeah. hold stuff, right? And that was kind of mind-blowing compared to most of the, most comic book art at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because mo- especially at DC where a lot of stuff was very house style, um, you know, and it was, you know, actually very much influenced by, by, uh, by Swan. And you had, you had some of that, uh, Neil Adams influence in, and then Giffen took that step a little bit further with, with doing that kind of stuff. And it was, you know, the, these were, these were huge changes in, uh, in how comic art was done. And it made it, I mean, I know for me, it was like, like just the, the look of it just blew my mind. Um, and uh, and and to then get that going into the Great Darkness Saga, I mean, come on. <laughs> Which I mean, that was that was a huge story. I mean, I, I mean, imagine coming on at, as the full on penciler. And by the way, Paul Levitt says, by the way, you're going to get a forty page annual. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. then we're going to do a five page saga that's going to pretty much have every Legion character ever in it. Yeah, welcome. Every- Welcome, and, and, yeah, yeah, welcome yeah. to the world. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Before you came on, right? <laughs> just unbelievable. So, so, what was Giffen doing just before this? I know he did a Doctor Fate backup in the Flash for a he while. He did, yeah. That was some of his early DC work. Um, uh, before that, he was he was known for the Defenders over at Marvel, and uh, he had done that. and And it's and it's interesting because at the time, uh, he was very much doing his Kirby thing. And um, and then he moved away from that and came over okay. to uh, and again like that those those Doctor Fate backups in the Flash, yeah those are amazing oh the my art god in and, there is amazing and you could see again and I think and I gotta think like he worked really well like, you know Carl the late Carl Gafford of course was uh, the colorist on a lot of that stuff and and um, and so you know I think he knew kind of like oh well Carl can handle this. As far as doing, you know, because Carl was also like kind of the 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 production maestro over there, and um, and so he would do a lot of those color hold things. So you'd see these, you know, big onks coming out of uh, mm-hmm. out of Doctor Fate's uh, hands, and um, I mean, a magic character gives you a certain license to do some crazy stuff in art, but he took it almost like that. Uh, Doctor Strange early art in Marvel, but just more sophisticated for the eighties. Yeah, again, it's you know? it's it's the it's taking the new technology and being able to make a use mm-hmm. of that, and um, 
almost yeah. kind of Storanko esque in a way. Really. Yes, you I know mean, what? They, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, he was a guy who took like what what Storanko brought to it in that in that sort of graphical uh, representation, and also. Um, and also, you know, he had the he had the Kirby thing as far as that dynamic, and um, and also Neil Adams. Uh, you know, there's that, mm-hmm. there's definitely that influence because again, Neil Adams was one of those guys who was who had you know really sort of brought in a new look as far as layouts and uh, and 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 the production side of things, and um, but yeah, I mean, bef- so before that, he had done. <clears throat> And, and here's the thing to remember. Um, in the summer of 1976, Keith Giffen co-created a, a character that you may have heard of, a fella <laughs> named Rocket Raccoon. Um, Did he, wait, he, he, he worked on Rocket Raccoon? I thought... Yeah. Yeah. Bill, Bill Mantlo wrote it. Keith Giffen right. drew it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. No. So he came up with the visual side of it. Um, so, yeah, that was in... Um, uh, Marvel preview number seven in the summer of 1976, and uh, before that, his first so that and that oh. was like his second work. His first published work was uh, The Sword and the Star, which was in Marvel preview number four in January of 76, and then went on to do uh, to uh, create Rocket Raccoon. And yeah. um, and did that explains Fenders. my confusion. I thought it, I thought Rocket Raccoon was created in uh, that miniseries that he appeared in. I didn't realize he predated yeah, that. That was, was a spinoff of the Hulk. Uh, but uh, so while he was while he was over there, he was freelancing for DC as well. Yeah, he worked on uh, Claw the Unconquered. That's right. He did, uh-huh. he did in '76. He did uh, a couple issues, a backup story in Commandy. Um, 1977 come along he's doing a couple issues of all-star comics um while he's still doing defenders uh he's doing uh the relaunch the 1977 relaunch of challengers of the unknown um and and the key to this all-star comic stuff that he did was was that was levitz as well right um like, yeah, I think so because the, the, he was, of course, tied into Huntress big time back then. Yeah, yeah, and so uh, you know it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it does. In, uh, 19, 1980, 81, He was doing like backups in House of Mystery and Ghosts. Yeah, he did an issue of Micronauts, and then he, he did, did um, and, and and that was interesting because, of course, that was he he uh, came in and did that issue just after Pat Broderick left. Yeah. And Pat Broderick, of Just course. Just like went, he did with Legion. <laughs> exactly. That's what I was going to say, because Broderick went, ended up going over to uh, to D.C. Firestorm. And worked, and worked. Well, no, it was before Firestorm, because he did uh, Legion, and then he left that to do Firestorm. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then he ended up, like you said, doing Dr. Fate. Uh-huh. And from there, it was pretty much like he went from doing backups on Dr. Fate to being the artist on the Legion, and that blew up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In a good way. In an, in an outstanding way. Yeah. So he I probably was, thought um, he'd be on the book for like a year and then move on. And then it's like, oh, wow, this is really popular. You've got to uh-huh. stay for a while. So in, you know. in, in doing prep this afternoon for, to, for tonight's uh, recording, I, it, it occurred to me that you could put Paul Levitz and Keith Giffen onto a hypothetical Mount Rushmore 
of Legion creators yeah. who, um, uh, when you look at what they did for the Legion, not just what the Legion did for them or what they did outside of the Legion, but if you put Levitz and Giffen up there as two of the four most important creators, um, my first question is, number one, would you disagree with either of those? No. 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 That, that, that's accurate. Especially and not given number, where I came in with Legion. <laughs> and then, and you know, and, and this is over the course of, of, you know, the last 60 plus years. But then who would you pick for your other two people on this Mount Rushmore where the two of them could be considered <laughs> as two of the most influential people on the Legion in general? Well, I think one is like super obvious. It really has got to be Otto Bender. Well, yeah, but he, well, I see, I, I, not necessarily. I mean, he created the concept and even though he wasn't, didn't write very many issues at all, the core concept endures. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. He re, he basically wrote, you know, uh, we, we talked a bit, uh, a while back on the Facebook page about the, uh, the story that, that came out, uh, about, 12 issues earlier because of course the intergalactic vigilante squadron yeah exactly and <laughs> but, and he basically took it a step further but honestly what he wrote was something that was meant to be a a one and done a, a one off one and done away. yeah it and a, and it, it was, was that it was that other it was that other people said hey that's cool let's pick up on that and, yeah, but, and run with it. It, but, was but, a, but. it was a bunch. Hold on. It was it was a bunch of kids <laughs> who came back in time to prank Superboy, right? Uh, and give Superboy a taste of of the super dickery, yeah. that he was being on everybody else. But and and, and like, as we know, because like both this. of my kids have been on the show talking about that issue, and they both are like, they're really mean to Superboy, and but, but, and I agree with them. Think about it like this: who? really like added most of the like characters that we associate with the Legion over time. Jerry Siegel. We're not going to put Jerry Siegel on this Mount Rushmore. No, he's on the I'll, I'm going to be Mount honest Rushmore. with you. Shooter is on there for me. And yeah, uh, sh shooter has to be on there, but he was, damn. he was, he was, he was, uh, the third on my list of four in no particular order. Yeah. Like I got it uh, for, for me. I'm going to say, uh, it's uh, Levitz, Giffen, Shooter, and Swan. And Swan. I know that I know that leaves a lot of like hugely influential people <coughs> off. Right. But I've only yeah. got four. Only I've only got four, four spots, and those guys yeah. did the motherfucking Sun Eater story, and uh, and and to me, that's like you know they they in one fell swoop created the the uh, the Legion's great villains as well as adding a bunch of Legionnaires. So my my fourth, beside after shooter, would be Mike Grell. I can um, see that. I can see that. And, it, that. and it was a tough. Uh, yeah, that's a, it. Was a tough. It, cut it's for not me. that. It's not that the Legion is what he is most known for. It is not that um, that the Legion wouldn't be what it is without him. But I would put him again, uh, ahead of Cockrum in that he is basically the one who jump-started visually the uh, taking yep. over from Cockrum, uh, the Bronze Age Legion. And when you get people who 
look back and say, you know, who is the most important artist of the 70s? Most people are going to say Grell over Cockrum. It was, um, there was an article recently. He had a longer run, with, didn't he? Yeah. He did, yes. Yeah, okay, um, fair enough. Yeah. So there was, there was a um, kind of a. And didn't he do covers for longer? Yes. Okay. Uh, he did, a, he did a, there was an interview with Brian Bendis and he listed his um, like top five. Yes. Um, phases or, or iterations, incarnations. And one of the ones he put in was the Mike Grell Legion. And, and so so people call it the Mike Grell Legion, not who was writing the story, but who was doing the art at the time. You're right. Mm -hmm. Who who was writing that? That was pre Conway. So that would have been like, that that was Bates and Shooter and Uh Levitz. Yeah. And I mean, you look at Alex Ross, who, who looks back on that era as his inspiration. Oh yeah. And so, so it's not that, Grell is the best artist, or he and Giffen are the two best artists or biggest artists in Legion history. It's the influence. It's it's his influence Absolutely. on on what came afterwards. Yeah, I I I, I get uh, you know, like I say, for me it was a it was a toss up between Swan and uh, and and Grell, and I'm glad you picked Grell because he was a tough cut for me, um, uh, you know, and it and and yeah, so so there you know there is. And that's the thing is there's no wrong answers here. Well, I'm going to say you're all wrong. Um, <laughs> Except for our answers, right, Travis? <laughs> yeah. So uh, for me, it's got to be Dave Cockrum because his costume designs are the most influential and the longest lasting. And they are still look at every costume today. They're still influenced by Cockrum's designs. He, he designed the lightning lad costume that endures to this day, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all of his. Co- I mean, I know Grell came in with these crazy '70s costumes, and they're. I love them. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I love Grell, but Cockrum's designs. Cockrum is the best costume designer. I mean, I think he's. Uh, him and Kirby are the best in the business, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but Cockrum's costume designs are the longest lasting, and every costume that comes after them is influenced by Cockrum. Everyone. Oh no! You Ultra know, Boy's costume is the most long-lasting because no, you can't but, fix with ain't broke. Well, oh hey now, um, hey, you know. But hey, there's I, there's an interesting. Ultra Boy's is not the longest-lasting. Monel's is. I guess oh, that's, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. 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 Um, now now do we, and it's interesting you say that because one of the things what about I and Brainiac Five. Well, yeah. Brainiac Five yeah. is not as long-lasting as Monel. Oh. Carried the one. Anyway. Yeah, you're right. Um, but but there is a. Um, just a, just a thought on um, on the whole uh, thing with with his costumes is the way he he drew um, Wildfire when he was Ergwan. Um, you know, later on, like around um, what three oh six, Giffen started doing. Started uh, messing with the costume, yeah. He started, but he started doing it more like that that very rounded helmet uh, Cockrum design. And, um, you know, he ended up kind of going back to that a bit, uh, you know, as opposed to the um, uh, the Sherman, the, the sort of Sherman and Staten thing where it would look more like a um, like a, a fireman's helmet. Um, mm-hmm. Right. That was that was Grell that, that did that. Cockrum had the that had the, the face plate that wrapped under the chin. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, was it was it that early? OK. Yeah. And, yeah. and it was Grell. Grell changed that to be more like a. A welder's mask. Yes, that. Sorry, that's that's what I was kind of 
trying to grab onto, but you're right. That that is exactly it. Um, and uh, and I loved that that uh, that Giffen kind of went back to that that Cockrum design and it goes back to, you know, I, I like I say, there's no wrong answers here. And I, I love everyone's answer that isn't mine, <laughs> you know, cause, cause you know, there, there was a, again, like Cockrum and Grell to me are the guys that really modernized the Legion. Right. Um, uh, you know, uh, they, they, they kind of brought it into, um, you know, like you say, kind of brought it into the Bronze Age, but quite honestly, like their influence on the modern age was was uh, it, it was incomparable. I mean, you, you know, and I mean, you even get like the idea of like you know, Nightcrawler was meant to be a legionnaire, and um, and well, which really is why Cockrum needs to be on that mountain because that is one of DC's biggest failings. We could have had the X Men at right? DC, yeah. And you well, know, but, but the, the X Men was also, also Len Wein and and, uh, and Chris Claremont. Oh, I know. I'm just saying it was, but visually, I mean, even even Byrne kind of uh, kind of basically picked up the. You know, I mean, yes, he, he did. He take it a bit further, arguably, yes. Yeah. yeah uh, totally. But 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 you know, um, he, he kind of picked up that torch from Cockrum. I mean, when you look at what, what, you know, what they were doing on X-Men before that, I mean, you know, there was just no comparison. I mean, what, you know, Cockrum coming onto that book was a, was a huge deal, just like it was when he came onto Legion. And, and something else that I, that I thought of uh, around this is that sometimes you just catch lightning in a bottle with a writer and an artist. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Byrne and Claremont on the X-Men and Levitz and Giffen yeah. on the Legion. Yeah. 100%. You you know you get you get a couple of uh, a couple of writers that were just on the cusp of writing like the best work of their careers and they get aligned with these great artists that are really and and in both cases artists that were also very strong writers, right? Or would become strong writers. And, right. uh, and, good, and we're, good we're storytellers. Yeah. Really strong storytellers and had ideas as to, um, you, you know, and, and we're, we're good foils for, for the writer to bounce off. And, uh, and, and, and I mean, you, you know, you, you, you can't argue that and, and think about this other side of it is that also they had really solid editors, right? Like, yeah. you know, shooter pushed, um, pushed them on, on, uh, on Dark Phoenix, for example, and um, you know, push them to go in a different direction, and uh, and 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 I mean, I know some people disagree, but I think the story ended up stronger as a result. And of course, Levitz and Giffen, they had Karen freaking Burger. Yeah, and sure. and I don't know if it's a hot take, but I had uh, Karen Berger and Mort Weisinger as other potentials for the Mount Rushmore yeah. strictly beca because of that, because it's, you can't just take a writer and an artist, you know, the editor is the, you know, the editor is the last line of defense to the, the scheduler, the producer, she's, she or he is the one who gets the best work out of the creative team. <laughs> that last one who says, come on, really? <laughs> um, but, but, but Weisinger, I actually, you know, and he was, he was kind of on my short list as well. 
Um, uh, he's on a lot of people's lists, Paul. I know. Yeah, but, yeah, but, it's but, a but, shit but, list. but, but honestly, I mean, you know, it was he was the guardian of the Legion's legacy for a very long time, and um, for yeah. better or worse. I mean, but he, he you know, was the entire Silver Age for the Legion. But we got an incredible, uh, you know, there, it was an incredibly creatively fertile time mm-hmm. uh, that that he that he oversaw. And and for all of his less than desirable qualities, that's still a big deal. You know, there's still something to be said for the for for uh, for for what he was able to get them to create under an auspice of every issue could be somebody's uh, is is somebody's first, and nobody reads these things after twelve issues. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> So I want to um, uh, I want to get into what I left out from last week's. Um, it's okay, I'm a senator. Yeah. Oh, I didn't give my mush more. Oh, yeah, give me give oh, us your oh, mush more. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. You want your mush more? Sorry, just real quick. I do agree about the Levitt's Giffen part. Um, I got to say, I cannot conceive of this thing without Auto Bender on it. Okay. Just because, just because. How do I explain this? Without sounding like a tool. Just use words. <laughs> I just think the creation of the concept is so strong. Even though the story itself is a little silly, and yes, it's a callback to a previous story, he created he did he did certain things to make it more that others built upon. Mm-hmm. Just the inclusion of a of a of a female superhero as an equal is something that resonates with the legion for ages is that it, it's a team of boys and girls in a time where that wasn't always the case mm-hmm. and other and just just conceptually i just think yeah you, you you can't you can't have it without him well there you go of course my fourth one is a bit more iffy and it has a very uh um skewed perspective as a modern fan because i came into all this so late yeah I actually can't decide if whether it should be Mark Wade or if it's like some sort of uh, Dan Abnett, Andy Lanning homunculus. Mark Mark <laughs> Wade was actually the the seventh person on my top four list. You know, Mark Mark Wade's got his feet in all of these eras, whether it was a super fan or uh, yeah, I mean, you, I can totally see that. Um, he was in. Wade Wade was um, uh, he worked on the five years later run. He was the first editor, mm-hmm. helped that going, uh, and then he was um, part of it at the end of uh, at Zero Hour. He was involved in the creation of the reboot, and then the three boot. Yeah, and then he would go on to write Archie after all of his experience at, uh, doing the Archie Legion. So it's, it's I, I, I the reason I, I say DNA belongs is because I think they were the first ones to really modernize the Legion. I mean, Wade and um, uh, McGraw did a lot to do that, too. But they were still like really calling back to the classic age with just a 90s coat of paint. I, I just think Ultimate Legion. The, the modern yeah, I get, Legion I get you. I get you. concept starts at like Legion Lost and uh, Legion of the Damned. Okay, Just, it, and I it certainly takes it in a different direction. It it, it you know it it's where the um, the yeah 
yeah, there's, you know, I, I mean, um, I, I know, I know, we do the thing about the Archer Legion, but you know, it, it honestly is more like Ultimate Legion because it is very much like in Ultimate Spider-Man, where it's like, here's the same story that we did in the '60s mm-hmm. with a, with a twist, with with a twist, with a twist, yeah. for a new generation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, look at us being a little bit ironic about it, and uh, and and it was very much that. For, for a long time. And, yeah, and there's uh, nothing wrong with redoing a story if you've got a, a No, a if you've got a different on it. twist nothing on it. All. Absolutely. And, and, and I don't mean that to be a pejorative. Mm-hmm. But it was very, you know, in much the same way that, uh, that Bendis's uh, Ultimate Spider-Man was that for Spider-Man, um, you know, the, the reboot Legion felt like that often. Um, yes, there were differences. There were big differences, but they still would like, and we're going to come back to this villain and uh, and this, but, and look at the twist. And uh, and so there was there was always kind of that aspect to it. And when they came in, they kind of made it like, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of their it was kind of their gig for a while, right? Doing the uh, we're we're going to bring some real sci-fi into these cosmic universes, right? And they, you know, they did the same over over at Marvel with Guardians, and I argue that we would mm-hmm. not have the Guardians movies without what they did with it. Almost likely, right? Yeah. I mean, there's just no way. Um, you know, it, it it all stems from what they did, and so I think that that you know, you know, and and you know, I mean, it, it's it's a difference. Instead of that movie, we would have gotten Power Pack, and that's fine. Well, there's that. Those bastards! They cost us our Power <laughs> Pack movie. They did. They cost with, you. With, I am waiting for Disney to find Power Pack. Waiting. Any day now, Disney. Come on. <laughs> Give them time. I Give mean, come time. on. It's kid it's right superheroes. Yeah. It's right there. Aren't they, <laughs> anyway. aren't they doing a Disney Plus thing with that? I, I think you're. I think you're thinking of the Powerpuff Girls live action thing they're doing, where they're teenagers and regret being superheroes. <laughs> and it sounds awful. <laughs> Yeah, that does sound pretty awful. Uh, being superheroes is so lame. So lame, Dad. I mean, even though we all we all realize that Buttercup is actually shrinking Violet as a raging lesbian, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. So, okay, Power anyway. Pack has been announced in development for a film. Jonathan ah. Forge, executive producer on Guardians Galaxy there Volume Two, will, will oversee the project. Hmm. How long ago is this? How long ago? I don't know. I'm. I don't know. Because <laughs> just because it's in development doesn't mean it's ever going to show up. So yeah. uh, they've got all their characters in development. Totally, <laughs> totally, they do. Of course, yeah. because oh, that's yeah. what they're supposed to do. Yeah. If they're smart, they'll do it animated. That way, they don't have to worry about the kids growing up. But I mean, you you have to do that really because kids grow yeah. very very quickly. quickly. Unless so, you, you film know. all the movies in one year, you're that's screwed. right. Wait, yeah, because look at when when you had like thirty year old Harry Potter um, in the oh last my God. movies. Mm. <laughs> mm. He's like, I know I'm just graduated high school, but I gotta go. Yo, puberty. <laughs> Travis, did you have any uh, input on the Mount Rushmore? Uh, Dave Cockrum. He did Cockrum. Yeah. Cockrum. Okay. I mean, I, all my thoughts are I just want to put in people like Tom McCraw, who you know influenced for many many years from coloring to writing and two different versions of the legion i mean there's he he never he gets overlooked a lot i think yeah uh and like uh jim was saying before the show jeff moy i mean 
he t- he influenced the visuals for years. He was the lead artist, you know, drawing at least one of the books at all the time. Sometimes both of the books. Yeah. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of guys. There's a lot of people who you know you don't really think of the Mount Rushmore, but they were there for years uh, helping the book. Well, yeah. one I always come back to is like it's ridiculous, like how many years uh, Jeff Moy drew the book, drew yeah. Legionnaires and. Yeah. Like I he's one of the longest tender tenor tenored tenured tenured, tenured yeah. legion artists and I don't think he gets enough credit for that. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Yeah. At least not on this show cuz we haven't discussed those books yet. <laughs> but five we'll more years we'll, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it, I promise. So what you're saying And I'm Travis, friends with we'll you. He'll come on the show. <laughs> well, there yes. we go. That'd be awesome. Well, you guys you guys covered Star uh, Trek Legion. Yes. Did. Yeah, you're right. We did. And we had we had Chris on to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was a so fun. anyway, as I was as I was getting to earlier, the um, there was some stuff left that I left out of the "It's Okay, I'm a Senator" from last week. Yes. Because it it didn't really go with issue thirty nine. It's more of this is what happened to us going forward. So uh, let me read let me read you those paragraphs. Mm. Um, Tom says, with Keith's departure, the tone of the book inevitably changed, and depending on one's taste, that may have been a positive or negative. I think most people, regardless of taste, would acknowledge that Keith was a stronger plotter than we were, but some people may have felt the book moved in a direction they were happier with. It was certainly made clear to us that a more commercial, more mainstream approach was to be considered or was considered to be what the book needed. Uh-huh. With, the, with the loss of Keith's participation, we suffered an automatic drop in sales. The distributors literally suggested to stores that they cut their Legion orders because Keith was no longer on the book. Wow. It was quickly obvious that trying to stimulate a sales boost was an important part of what we needed to do to have a future on the book. I think by this time we knew our futures were tenuous. As soon as Keith agreed to leave the book, we wondered how secure we were. And as it turned out, our feelings of insecurity were justified. Certain powers at D.C. made a pitch to Keith that he could make better use of his time concentrating on other projects. And Keith agreed, hoping that meant there would be a smooth transition to us as the plotters of the book for a long time to come. But almost immediately, word was spread that the Legion was up for grabs and people from around the business started inquiring about the assignment. We quietly pointed out that we had a contract to remain on the book for about another year and the rush to replace us was put on hold. We understood the need to try and boost sales and most of what we did in the coming year reflected our idea of what might be most effective on that score. We also changed the tone of the book because we knew we didn't have Keith's skill set and weren't going to be able to tell the stories exactly the way he did. We had to rely on the things that we could do best and that meant a more traditional approach. And perhaps most of all, things changed to accommodate the new penciler, Stuart Immonen. I vividly remember when incoming Legion editor, Casey Carlson, sent us a stack of samples from about five different artists and asked us which one we liked the best. He and we agreed that Stuart really stood out and was the guy to go with. Casey sent some trial pages that you'll see ended up getting used as part of issue 49 and he did such a great job with those samples he was in. Mm-hmm. Like most 
Um, whoops. Like most artists, Stuart wasn't interested in the nine-panel grid, so that was mostly retired, uh, only brought back periodically when appropriate. I think he and Casey also quickly agreed that some kind of new visuals for the group could help. And within a couple issues, there were some new uniforms that were once again individualistic. Gone were the team jackets and were kind of a midway point between traditional spandex uniforms and 30th century street clothes. Mm -hmm. It turned out, I'm sorry? I said, mm hmm. Oh. Yes, it, I was affirming. Yeah, that made uh, sense. Yeah. Uh, it turned out Stuart wasn't too keen on Laurel's revealing costume, and he proposed switching her to an outfit that covered just about everything from her chin down to her toes. Also, his first take on Kono was quite a bit more feminine than was appropriate for the character, and we convinced him and Casey to show a little skin on Laurel and give Kono a little something more matcha. Um, matcha. Uh, another sign the series has moved on and is becoming a little more conventional, is the lack of any text page. It's ironic that Keith almost always gave us a chance to shine in the text pages, but once we became the plotters, we pretty consistently turned those pages over to the artists. Mm. I suspect in both cases, part of the motivation was to cut down on our workloads. Keith got to skip penciling a couple pages, by going with text pages, and we got to reduce the amount of writing we had to do by just scripting those pages instead of filling them complete with, completely with text. It also reflects Keith's more fertile imagination and ability to tell his stories in a lot of different ways. We just didn't come up with the kind of inspired ideas for text pages that Keith regularly hatched. Hmm. Uh, also, also, we may have OD'd on the whole notion of text pages because apparently this was shortly after we completed all of the writing for the 2995 source book from Mayfair, yeah. which consisted of dozens and, <laughs> yeah. dozens and dozens of text pages, many of which got edited out of that crowded book because we wrote a lot more than could fit. Uh, we did manage to come up with some fairly imaginative approaches in that project, and we probably just didn't have the time and energy left to think of cool uses for text pages in the Legion comic itself. And so that uh, I hadn't remembered exactly when it came out, but you know, people who say now, well, you could have got just gone out and gotten the uh, the source book, and that would have helped you understand what was going on. It's no, this didn't come out until three years yeah, later. Yeah, three years after. I mean, you had to print the comic in order to not have a book full of spoilers for the next thirty six months. Right. I mean, honestly, so and and so the. Um, uh, the source book um, basically ends around Legionnaires number one because it has uh, uh, the older chameleon boy taking over as kind of the, the liaison right. and, and the younger ones getting deputized. And that's the new, that's where the new stuff in uh -huh. the book ends. Uh, so Tom finishes up one more layer to the mix. Any pages we reserved for text pages meant less work and pay for our artists. Keith was able to volunteer himself to take that pay cut, but I don't think we were eager, eager to impose it on the artists we were working with. Which is which is fair because like Giffen had, um, you know, he had quite a lot of stuff going on. He had, a, he you know, he had multiple streams of income coming in from DC. So to get a break on this one was like great because I got like. 
five Justice League books I got to do. <laughs> um, so any uh, any comments on that before I head over to the hat trick? I, I, I like the text pages. I think at the beginning they were pretty much essential to understanding the backstory of what we were yeah. seeing because mm-hmm. there, it was there good was exposition that, dump. Yeah. It was great exposition dump that didn't better than take having it a in the story on yeah. a on a nine page panel grid, right? Because you would have needed to get all the flashbacks of Phantom Girl's cruiser accident or Orando coming back to the universe or you know, all all the things that changed between the Baxter run ending and this book starting. So I I think they were very wisely used pages. Oh definitely. So um uh, I I kind of mentioned it uh, a few weeks ago, but at the 1995 San Diego Comic Con, um, I was there with a bunch of other people, some of whom might even be listening to this podcast. <laughs> so we we hung out for dinner. Uh, we called it the Legion Dinner. You know, we all had a there was a sign up sheet that went around because this was you know this was barely in the early days of the internet. Um, but we got together to hang out for dinner, and then afterwards, we went over to the uh, the Hilton, uh, where Casey Carlson and Jeff Moy and Corey Karani were there. And Corey told us about um, some things that went on during this time that we are talking about now. And then so I came back and I wrote about it for the uh, um, for the Usenet news group, the Rec Arts Comics DC LSH. And then um, uh, probably posted it to the mailing list, and then it just kind of spread organically from there. And somewhere along the way, somebody started calling it the hat trick. And we'll tell you why it's called the hat trick, not because he got to kill Karate Kid three times. <laughs> but um, Hey, Rocky, watch me pull this Legionnaire out of the hat. Again. So, um, yes, uh, this, so this... Um, uh, this was told and retold, and Giffen told some of it. Um, they would like AOL. DC had their AOL chats yeah. in 1999, and there were uh, conventions where where this story was told. So basically, um, according to Casey Carlson, this was around the time when Giffen was debating on whether or not to stay with the Legion. Um, and as we've mentioned, he's got he had a lot of stuff uh, on his plate. A lot of other books he was writing, um, but this is what Giffen has described uh, at least twice as "quote the one story I wish I could have finished up right." So basically, uh, what his plan was um, originally it was the SW6 Legionnaires were the real group, and the adults that we had been reading about since the mid '60s were clones created by the Dominators. So for the last years, we had been reading about the Legion of Clone Superheroes or the Legion of Super Clones. Well, we, we, the, we'd have been reading about them since, uh, the entire time since the uh, kids had been locked away. Since, since Adventure 350. Right. And everything since then would have been clones. And then the um, uh, because they were clones, they had secret programming from the dominators and the dominators programming would kick in and the two teams the sw6 and the adult legionnaires would have a massive battle to the death with victims chosen at random 
their names literally pulled out of a hat by Giffen. Oh. Wow. Then, after it was all over, the two teams would make up, and the senior team would leave the United Plants for the Vegas system and call themselves the Omega Men in a spinoff book. Uh, Casey Carlson, the editor, said, basically, no way, this is not going to happen, and that made up Giffen's mind to leave the series. <laughs> I mean, thank you, Casey say, Carlson. <laughs> having engineers kill wait. each other doesn't seem like a great idea, even on paper. So, so then a few years later, at the 1999 Heroes Con, uh, Giffen, he slightly corrected it, um, saying he wasn't going to have it where half would die and the rest would join as one legion. He said he only planned that some would die, considerably less than half, perhaps five to ten, in the battle to free Earth from the Dominion. After that, the older Legionnaires were going to be given Earth and the defense of UP headquarters, while the younger team was going to the edge of space uh, and act as the last line of defense as the Omega Men. Mm. Um, Giffen said the hat trick rumor is dead on true, and dead on true is, is a quote. Yeah. Uh, Keith said it was editorial's insistence on the removal of Mon L simply because of the L name yeah. uh, was what let the beer bombs, what led them to write the Mordrew verse issue. He said it was all they're doing, and he refused to be associated with that issue over his objections with what editorial wanted accomplished. Mm. Not not because of what the beer bombs were writing or what they did, but because he didn't want to. He was protesting editorial. No, not the, the, the involved, idea that we can't it? talk about Superman in the future. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's understandable. It, yes, how, is he not, how is he not involved if he drew it? Well, he didn't I write guess it. In, the, in the writing part of it. Yeah, he uh, didn't script it, so therefore he had nothing to do with the plot of that book. Right. Okay. Just like any so, other artist. In other artist words, would, he just became say, he much. became the artist for that yeah. issue. Yeah. So uh, Giffen in '99 said that the, edit the powers that be at DC had been pressuring the creators to pay less attention to continuity and Legion history, and in fact were looking for a reboot years before it actually happened. He said that this pressure to toss out 30 years of Legion history was what was what ultimately made him quit the book. As a side note, he said that he destroyed the Earth as he left because, quote, no one was watching. Uh -huh. um, and then uh, KC replied, I asked him to comment on that, and he replied, um, he says, I was not aware of any plans to reboot the series before we actually did it in Zero Hour. We, that is me, Mark Wade, and Tom McCraw, came up with the idea ourselves, and Carlin and Levitt signed off on it. There may have been some tinkering regarding the SW6 Legionnaires in getting, or sorry, SW6 characters in getting the Legionnaires book started, but Michael Yuri is the person to ask about that since the series went through several false starts before it came to market. And so that is the uh, the story of the hat trick, is that we're going to pull names from a hat, and those are going to be the ones that died, and then you're going to have, they were going to kiss and make up, hopefully not. Not literally, because some of them were like 14 or 15. Yeah, that'd be and, cringy. And then one team was going to be the Omega Men, and the other team was going to be the Legion. I mean, it makes and, more sense that they would have those casualties during the Dominion War than them fighting each other. 
Yeah. And so I, I wonder, was there a hat involved when, uh, when, when Giffen came back to the New 52 Legion? <laughs> Possibly. I, I, I heard, like, I've heard, I've heard this story before, but one wrinkle that I had heard that I don't think was mentioned here was that um, it was going to be an actual draw from a hat. So there was, like, the possibility of, like, both Ultra Boys would die or, like, because it, 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 like, Oh like yeah, no. Have, he like, was he was going he was going full on die. like you know creativity exercises where it's just like I put myself at the mercy of randomness and then I've yeah. got to make yeah. it work from there. And and hey, power to him because you know what they they were they were looking to 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 do things to to get things turned around. I mean, and he's he been so- quoted before of saying that he would like the Legion to be ten to twelve members. Yeah. So mm-hmm. get get rid of half of them. Yeah, you know, which, so, is, and, which and seems we'll, to be kind of what he did yeah. this time, because half of them are not on, you know. Well, we will panel. we will we'll find out in a little bit that um, it wasn't going to be everyone thrown into a hat. They had some storylines that they were going to use or they were going to write, and they needed certain legionnaires for that for those stories, so those names would not be put into the hat. Kent Shakespeare and Celeste safe. See the uh, version I originally heard. Which is apparently <laughs> a bit different, but I, I really like the idea better. Didn't involve the two different versions of the Legion. It was just the Legion and be every single Legionnaire name put in a hat, draw five out. Those five live. Everyone else dies. Oof. Yeah, that's, that's the original rough. version I that's heard. Rough. That'd be all the Legionnaires come together for some huge thread. Who knows? Time trap or Mordru? Who cares? But in the course of that battle, everyone dies except for those five, and you have to go from there. Damn. It's like the end of that Dynasty episode where all the terrorists shoot the everyone. Moldovian oh, the Moldovian massacre, yeah. Yeah. yes. I mean, and then Wait. you find out everyone survives later. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, I mean, eventually, any kind of story like that, eventually you can bring everybody back somehow. Yeah, it's it's comics. really hard to do a book called The Legion with five characters in See, it. I don't... That, that That's weird, but I could totally understand that based on what we've been reading for the last few years because... Mm-hmm. He's kept this legion pretty much pretty lean and mean. Uh, yeah. And I mean, even when it's not, he's only using like three or four at a time. Yeah, yeah but so even when he's got like fifteen people involved, you only see like two or three an issue. Exactly. Totally. Mm-hmm. So the. Go ahead. I said or none. Ah. Yeah. Or none. Yeah. So um the uh, the next part of this is the uh, Masterpiece Theater podcast. Because I didn't have the thing. I didn't have the theme. When that sound came on, it was time to turn PBS off. <laughs> <gasps> so, um, time for uh, Quantum Leap. <laughs> yeah. So um, what I had thought would be a good idea is to read or uh, have a dramatic recreation of the... Um, uh, Keith Giffen interview where he talks about what, how he came up with what he, what we read over the last 39 issues and what he planned for coming up next. And uh, this is taken from Glenn Cadigan's wonderful book, the Legion companion. Available uh, from which, two morrows, maybe digitally uh, now. Certainly not. It is, it is, yeah, it is not available from two morrows anymore. Damn shame. Awesome. It is, it is long sold out and uh, copies go for 50 bucks on up on uh, the secondary market. Um, 
and from what Glenn told me is that DC wanted too much money for the rights to reprint the book. Oh, wow. Well, I'm not going to lie. I, I um, <clears throat> bought mine at, Su- at uh, Super Show, so, like, it's more than 10 Super years. Show. Like, the first one. Um, and, 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 yeah, I got it for, like, $38 then. And, um, yeah, so. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when I, when I, I got mine from the Tomorrow's booth at San Diego, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. And there were stacks of them on the table. And, of course, in retrospect, I wish I just bought them out. But yeah, <laughs> eBay, those who, bad who boys. Knew, That's your retirement right? plan. Yeah. yeah. Who knew? <laughs> All right. So um, I was originally going to go with David, David Frost. But um, as my wife and I discussed earlier, I think the accent would have been hard for me to sustain, even though it's actually my natural voice. <laughs> but I just can't do that in front of you guys. Um, so instead, I've decided to go with Howard Cosell, though it will at times sound a little bit more like Gilbert Gottfried. Um, <laughs> okay. Why exactly did you return to the Legion then? I guess I went back to really try to do something really, really, really different with the book. And it sounded like DC was ready, was really ready for something radically different to be done with the Legion. I went in figuring, let's give it a shot, but I didn't want to be too radically different, which is why I brought in Tom and Mary, who were very much of Legion fandom and had great affection for Legion history. They were pretty much there to temper my more extreme ideas. Why take the Legion five years further into the future? Uh, just a chance to try something different. And I told Karen what I wanted to do with the book, and she was for it. I guess it was my chance to try something different in terms of how you structure the story and what happened to the characters. Just take the book in a new direction. It was also the home of the infamous nine-panel grid, which I was castigated for doing, and Dave Gibbons, when he did it in Watchmen, was a genius. I guess people were trying to say, well, he did it better than you did but I've never done anything as unpopular as that nine panel grid in my career. And I'll tell you why I'll tell you why I was doing it because you're getting more story. Apparently not. (laughs) Switch. uh, Yeah. How shortly after you relaunched the Legion, did you start to feel that DC wasn't supporting it or that the support which you had for it was slipping away? I forget what provoked the confrontation, but there was a confrontation with the Superman group. I've often wondered, did I have anything to do with that? Because I seem to remember walking in and finding out that we could no longer use any Superman mythos retroactively. And I thought, what does that mean retroactively? Does that mean that I've got a group here that's been influenced by a character who I'm not allowed to acknowledge? And that was why that hourglass issue came about. But it was that early that everything started falling apart. It was just this real dogged determination on mine and Tom and Mary's part to fix things so that we weren't doing the white event that everybody thought I was going to do. I think everybody really thought, oh, he's just going to erase it all and do it his way. He's such a maniac. He's got such a big Mm -hmm. ego. And yet we struggled to try and salvage as much as was humanly possible in that book. There were times when I thought, why am I bothering? I'm over here, I'm trying really hard to respect the book, and I'm just getting nailed for it. But that's part and parcel of the business. Didn't DC want you to start over from scratch at one point? Yes. (laughs) At one point, I was taken out to lunch, and they said, why don't you just do a white event? Just get rid of everything. It's too complicated. 
But that would have meant not only saying to Legion fans, oh, by the way, the last 30 years, fuck you. It would also have meant doing what I thought, uh, what I brought the book five years ahead to, to avoid doing, and I couldn't do it. I remember saying, absolutely not. And that was the beginning of the end there. How far into the run was this? It was probably not too far removed from the Kund War saga, which was issue 15 to 17, when I quit the book for a couple months. So those weren't just fill-in issues? No, no, no. That was, oh my God, he's gone. I came back in time to do the covers. I walked off that book many times. Most of the time, it was just a one- or two-day walk-off, but that one lasted a bit. It didn't even come down to supporting the book. It was just, it was like being pecked to death by ducks. It got to the point where it just got ridiculous. Everything I did was being second-guessed. Even Legion fandom was going, since when is Dreamgirl the sorceress? I'm thinking, no, that's Glory. Oh, but she's got Dreamgirl's hair. Excuse me? That was pretty much what I was putting up with on a day-to-day -day basis. What did you think people's reaction to the five years Legion, five years later Legion, would be heading into it? I had no idea. I learned early on that my take on things is pretty far removed from the way things are going to turn out. I have never had a success in the comic book industry that I didn't walk into thinking was going to be an abject failure. I thought it was going to be fired for doing the Justice League the way that we did it. I thought Lobo was going to be a disaster. Legion, I guess, I don't want the book to go away. I want there to be a Legion. And it was kind of shaky, in danger of maybe going away. Plus, like I say, I've always had a soft spot for the Legion. I guess I didn't know what to expect. I certainly didn't expect the open assault from every angle. You know, DC, fandom. It was like, Jesus, it's just a comic book. Relax. <laughs> the five years later thing, everybody thinks was an act of ego on my part because I wanted my Legion to be mine, 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 and not to build up to it. What it really was, was I knew that I had to dismantle a lot of stuff that Paul had worked on for his run, and I didn't want to be the guy that did that. I wanted to boost my run on the Legion far enough away from Paul's that his run in the book would just remain his run in the book, and nobody, could, nobody would screw with it. Were there any events put into the Magic Wars to set up your own run on the Legion? One, but I don't recall what it was. I recall specifically asking for one thing. Was it the death of Magnetic Kid? No. So he w wasn't killed to set up the events of Cosmic Boy's downward slide? No, 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 no. <laughs> On a scale of one to ten, how close did you get to telling the story you wanted to tell? Five. I got about halfway there. So what would we have seen had you stayed? Had I stayed and not been interfered with, the SW6 batch would have been discovered to be the real Legion. The conspiracy theory was true. They were taken and stuffed aside somewhere, put in stasis. My guys, the guys I'd been playing with, were clones. The War of Free Earth would have been much bigger and more spectacular and had real moments of tragedy. Then when Earth was free, the kids would inherit Earth and United Planets and whatever team was going to continue with the Legion of Superheroes book would move it slowly back to that good future. My guys, what was left of them, would wander off to another solar system where they would become the last bastion of law and order 
or for the unknown, and they would call themselves the Omega Men, and we'd revive that team. Can you see why people might have been upset to learn that the characters which they'd been following for years were clones? Yeah, sure, but I don't care. That sounds cold, but I really don't care. It was the story that was being told. I sat down and thought about it long and hard, and I really wanted to give people back this young legion. Cloning them and giving them young kids, well, wasn't that giving them back the legion of superheroes now, was it? Doing this, it gave them back the legion of superheroes. It was their legion of superheroes. It was the characters they knew and loved, and if you wanted to play the continuity game, the fact that they were clones could cover every continuity glitch since way back when. I could understand that it would piss people off, just like I could understand the hourglass issue was going to piss people off, and Laurel Gann was going to piss people off. But then, what do they say? If you don't piss people off, you're not doing your job. Don't get me wrong. I did not want to make an enemy out of Legion fandom. I did not go out to deliberately ruffle people's feathers, but I didn't second-guess the story based on, oh, this might piss off a certain amount of people who really like this character, or this might offend a certain amount of people simply because you're going for the overall audience. You're going for the impact. And it's comics. It's a comic book. If I give Superman a third leg and people go, wow, I really hate the third leg, I can take it away. So it's trying different things. What about the Legionnaires who joined after the Silver Age? What was your take on them? They could be reintroduced as necessary. If they were wanted, then they would be left behind on Earth. It was going to be a real fair divvying up. I was actually going to take most of the duplicate characters. Have you heard the Keith Giffen hat trick rumor? That was the whole deal. When we did the Earth War, the Terra Mosaic, every Legionnaire's name was going to be put into a hat, and I think five were going to be pulled and they would die. It was the only way to do it fairly. I had my favorites, and everybody had their favorites. I figured this was the best way to do it. Now, those characters that were critical to ongoing storylines would not make it into the hat, but there were certain characters who would. Yeah, that was true. Do you think that if you had told the same story, only using different characters like Alan Moore did with Watchmen, they would have had the same reaction? I'm not going to read the editor's note. Oh. Uh, I never thought of that, no. Because I'm no Alan Moore, and Alan was at the top of his game then. I think that Watchmen's success was due to the fact that at that point, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons were at, that, at their peak. They were at the top of their game. It was just really mind-bending stuff, some of the themes that Alan was exploring. If you break down my five years later Legion, it pretty much dates back to the old Pulp Fiction stuff. Moore and Givens, they were on a whole other level. I think they would have succeeded wildly with the Charlton characters or done as it was, and I think Legion five years later wouldn't have that backlash. But I maintain it was the Legion of Superheroes that kept it alive sometimes, just the fact that it was a marquee name. I don't know how it would have done if we had come out with all new characters. I have no idea what other name we could have used, but I think for the story I was telling, it had to be Legion of Superheroes. We've gone all this time, and we haven't even mentioned the Legion of Substitute Heroes. Yeah, poor group. That's my bipolar group. When everyone wants to take them seriously, I turn them into buffoons, and when everyone thinks they're buffoons, I introduce them five years later as an effective commando squad. It's just the whole idea of unfulfilled potential that the Legion was full of. 
all these wonderful characters just waiting for somebody to come along and give them a new twist. Uh, I used to love doing the substitute heroes stuff because it proved that Paul Levitz does have a sense of humor. Do you think you were unfairly criticized for turning them into comic relief? Not at all. If the criticism is heartfelt, there's no unfair criticism because criticism is an opinion. I can disagree. When you did leave your five years later Legion, was it a case you'd been worn down to a certain point? I don't know if worn down is the right term. I did spend a lot of time during that run uh, angry more than worn down. I know I left the book angry. I know blowing up the earth was a temper tantrum, but I wouldn't say worn down. I guess fed up is more accurate. Oh, and and um, my Howard, my Howard Cosell, who turned into Gilbert Gottfried, who then turned into <laughs> um, uh, Jimmy Durante, ha cha cha cha, um, has uh, has now been replaced by um, Barbara Walters. Um, but I need to no. find the, the the right page here because it's we're on one ninety six. Yeah. Was that the one time? Was that the one time? Oh, halfway oh, down. I thought. I'm sorry. I thought I did that already. Was that the one time in your career when you put your heart and soul into your work more so than any other? I always try to throw 100% of myself into the work, but I guess the Legion thing, there was a little bit more in there, a little bit more in terms of what I really wanted to do in terms of storytelling and tone in a book. I'm revisiting that territory right now with Reign of the Zodiac, the large cast and the convoluted Byzantine storylines. Yeah, I guess that was. I guess out of all the work I'd done for DC up to that point, The Legion was the book that I put that little bit of extra into that five years later on. Uh, one last question. How proud are you of your body of Legion work? <laughs> I'd, I'd do it again the same way without a second thought. Both ones? Yes. Even if I knew that poster was going to blow me out, I'd still do it. I like what I did on the Legion. I enjoyed doing the Legion. I even enjoyed the more obnoxious fans. It was fun. It was fun to do. It's something I'm glad I got a chance. I'm glad I got a chance to do. It's something that hey, don't be surprised if I wind up back there again somehow. Is it one of those comics that you just can't get out of your head? I think so. Yeah, pretty much so. I don't pick it up anymore. But again, it'll just be me going. But that's not the way I do it. But you know what? If they called me back tomorrow and said, you want to come back, I'd probably go. I have no idea what I'd do at this point, but I'd probably go. Mm. And he did. And scene. And scene. <laughs> and that is Masterpiece <laughs> Theater Podcast. <laughs> Take a drink. <laughs> yeah, you know, so one, of, one of the things in there is, you know, we, we had talked a lot about the fill-ins and and in most cases, as we discussed them, we talked about, you know, well, he was really busy. He had a lot of other books that he was doing. But some of them were because he Sometimes he was on, just really pissed off. Sometimes he walked <laughs> off the book. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and, you know, that sort of stuff was not in the uh, um, Tom's It's Okay, I'm a Senator, probably mm. because it wasn't really his story to tell. Yeah. And it, it would have sounded totally like fair. I'm throwing... I'm throwing Keith under the bus by saying he walked off the book here Absolutely. and left us to do it. I mean, 
but but in everybody else's defense working on the book that had to be really tough working conditions dealing with and i i've met mr giffen and he is i I would say lovingly curmudgeonly you know (laughs) it's it's not it's not mean spirited or anything but he he's a bit of a grouse and as, it's, as it's they say the irascible irascible yeah irascible yeah. that's that's a good yeah. word for it and but i can't imagine working in an office with someone who comes in one day and throws up their arms and says i'm quitting and then comes in three days later going i'm back because <laughs> at like, some wait, point doesn't what? it get to again <laughs> yeah it's like this this is a lot to deal with this is a lot of drama either yeah. quit or don't it was like yeah. the thing quitting the fantastic four yeah, yeah, but we're 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 real people, not comic book characters. Yeah, so, you know, it's like get off the pot or take a piss. Pick one, but <laughs> do it. As my grandpa used to say. But you know, wait, wait, wait. But what you're getting is is like he said, like it, a lot of it was just the the editorial meddling. It's like, yeah, this thing you're doing, you have to change that because these mm-hmm. guys don't want you to do that. And um, so there was a lot of that, too. And I mean, you know, I can understand the Superman office saying, hey, you know what? We're in the midst of like, you know, really um, redefining this character. And that's fine. But now we can't even mention the fucking Daily Planet. Bitch, please. Yeah, see, I think that's where I do take Giffen's side. Yeah. And the whole Legion team side, because that was ridiculous. I don't care. If it was John Byrne or Dan Jurgens or whoever was in charge of Superman at the time, it was Mike Carlin. Was it Mike Carlin? It was I, Mike Carlin. I don't care. I don't care. This yeah. was ridiculous. Yeah. That you would have a team working on a tangentially related book and then say they can't mention Metropolis. A thousand years in the future. In the future. Yeah. I mean, what do you call it? New York Cityopolis? But I mean, what? what what but, do you want from yeah. that? Yeah, and it's this idea of the. But what if we just? De- what if we decide we want to blow up the Daily Planet? And it's like, then someone will fucking rebuild it. It's a, it's yeah. like us talking about the the Earth thing the other week. It's like at some point it just means that there's going to be another Earth. And yeah, totally. uh, you know it is. It and 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 so to to like to hamper that. I don't know. It just seems it, it seems a lot of bullshit to me, and it, it seems it just a, seems it, very petty. Very it it, it seems it seems a lot of dick swinging and like, hey, our book is the important one, and fuck you, and uh, and so yeah, it does it does not. Um, how can I say this tactfully? It does not you speak. Just, it does not speak well of their legacy. No, it doesn't at all. Not at all. <laughs> I mean. We, we've seen Super Dickery related to this book before, but yes. this is, I think this is probably the most egregious. But, but usually, it's like the, the usually it's the character. Or not. Yeah. Usually, usually the Super Dickery was coming from Superman. Yeah, yeah, himself. yeah. From, yeah. Not, not, not just Superman his office, office right? Not, not his stewards, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I totally, I mean, there, there's a lot in the background of this book that makes you go, huh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean uh, that th- they were able to to get this thing out on a on a relatively consistent basis um, amid- amazing, amidst all that all that nonsense is wild. And and you know as much as I have been vocal throughout this entire series um, about the things that I did not like um, after reading it or after rereading it for the first time. In, in God knows how many decades, and also knowing 
now what I know about what was going on behind the scenes, yeah. I have a different appreciation for the beer bombs. I had basically thought it was more of a 50-50 uh, partnership. But if you read the um, uh, later in the Legion Companion, uh, the, the beer bombs have a, a long interview. Yeah. And he said, no, it was like 70% Giffen and maybe like 15 to 20% us. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and, and I mean the rest, yeah. Gordon. Right. When, when so. we had when and, we and had Tom on the show, and... he was he was very much like a no. It was all Keith. You know, it's like you know, it was he was he was running the show, and we were we were there to help out. And uh, yeah, and not as not as blaming Giffen, but no, no, Giffen not at all. A hundred percent, hundred percent. Sorry, yeah, You're, no, absolutely. It was they they were basically like you know to the way Tom explained it is Keith was Keith was the creative force and they were just there to help him out. And um and and then Al was a big part of it as well. And uh they you know Tom was very quick to say that. Um and yes, not blaming, passing credit for sure. And and so what what I have I guess come to realize as we've gotten to this point is that the things that I didn't like about this book are mostly Giffen stuff, not beer bomb stuff. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't something that I realized until rereading it and going back and, you know, it's okay, I'm a senator reading after the fact behind the scenes stuff. <clears throat> because all I knew at the time is here is Giffen and Levitz, and I really love the stuff. And now here is Giffen and the beer bombs, and I don't like it. What's, What's different? different? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So therefore... Therefore, the problem must be with the beer bombs. That's why I don't like the book, or that's I, I don't like the book because of what they're doing, not because of what Keith is doing. Hmm. And and so I, I I will have to mentally readjust my chakras or whatever <laughs> to uh, uh, to try and process that. Well, it, I mean, it puts everything in a new perspective, doesn't it? When you know oh, the division of labor absolutely. and you're like, you know, Giffen was doing the drawing and he's like, here's the plot. Now you guys put the words in there. Exactly. It's yeah. kind of the Marvel method. He was, he was, yeah, he was very much Kirbying it. Yeah. Yeah. So no, it kind no, of, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say Kirby because uh, Kirby was given plots by Stan Lee. Yeah. Eh, yeah. yeah. He was, then, no, uh, we, yeah, no, 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 no. Kirby plotted a lot of himself. Yeah, it was like, uh, hey, how about, how about this? How about this? Uh, how about we have, you know, the Fantastic Four fights a, um, uh, you know, a giant mole thing in the middle of the city. That was the plot he was given. So yeah. I mean, I think it was, it was probably a little bit more detailed than that, but often but, not though. Often actually, not. towards the end, well, I don't think Lee had any plot going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's just exactly. like the villain's last name starts with an O. It, or espe it, especially by the time but, you got to Thor, well, it, it I, was it was all hmm. you know. It was like you know, Kirby was basically here. Put some dialogue on this. I made you some notes. <laughs> over time, Kirby just started drawing whatever he wanted, regardless of the plot he was handed. Yeah. And so Lee stopped handing him plots. 
which well, it okay. took it took time to get yeah. there. But which is uh, honestly like when you hear Levitz talk about working with Giffen, quite often it was like, uh, yeah, he kind of does his own thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean Giffen's interesting because he the way he plots, he basically sketches the entire issue. Yeah, and yeah. That, that's how he plots. Absolutely. So it's 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 a stream and, of and, consciousness and that's, thing. I and that's that, that's the Kirby thing where it's basically like uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna basically lay out the whole story go and um and so yeah the the he and he and stan would have a discussion and it would be a uh you know a oh we're gonna we're gonna do this and it was kind of a, a general direction uh it wasn't much more than that and uh and then kirby would go and he would he would do the, he would make the story and then lee would have to look at it and be like okay so where we where where did we go with this? All right, and and then he would uh, you know write some daddios and some, uh, um, you know, like <laughs> you got did. it, kid. Yeah, you know some daddios and some some really uh, painful teenage slang would go. In yeah, there. and some some you know hep teen stuff and uh, you know those we, beatniks. It was the it was the sixties version of uh, Steve Buscemi running in. Greetings, fellow kids. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. It's kind of appropriate we're talking about Stan since he passed on November 12th. Oh, that's you know? right. So it's yeah, kind of, it's kind of yeah. 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 Spirit of Lee is, is heavy in the room. We'll have to go back and read some funky Flashman. <laughs> so so we talk a lot about the writing um, and the road bumps along the way that involved. But what are the art? What do you guys, how do you guys feel about Giffen in this period, just in general. I had a hard time with this art. I have to be honest, even though the forehead I mean, look, the forehead look drove me crazy. And I had read the book back when you know everyone had the shiny costumes and you knew who everyone was. But I had problems following who people were sometimes because their looks were so similar. The art was so dark, and then the faces were sometimes completely blacked out. And so it was very difficult to go, is this a new character? Is this an old character that's been changed into this thing? I got to admit, I, was, I wasn't this? crazy about it at the time. I, I, yeah. at, at the time, I, w I wasn't enjoying it. Now I fucking love it. Um, I personally think this is Pete Giffen, yeah, art style-wise. Totally. His, his later Trencher, later Lobo stuff is more like wild and crazy. And I find his modern stuff to be a little bit too Kirby for its own good. Oh, see, I love that. I, love I mean, it's great, but I, I think it, it lacks a little bit of um, uh, like personal uh, Giffen personality because he's hmm. leaning into it so hard. I mean, the guy can still do amazing layouts and incredible, and, and oh. you can always tell it's Giffen. I just, I just think that this style was just his absolute like peak. Yeah, it's, I, it's, it's stunning, but it took me a long time to come around to it. I got to admit. And uh, I think some other books during this era kind of look like this, like his uh, Doctor Fate yeah. miniseries and stuff. And yeah, I dig well, yeah, they, it, and uh, not Trencher. What am I saying? Um, uh, Heckler looks like Heckler this too. Looks a lot like yeah, this, but yeah. he, the Doctor, you know, his um, after he did the um, the flashback ups when he came back to Doctor Fate later on, um, it was very much that um, in the forehead know. style, right? Yes, but not quite as refined as this. And maybe a lot of that has to do with Al Gordon. 
Um, and yeah, Al Gordon is like the unsung hero of this. His inks like really. And that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. Like 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 maybe the reason I that that uh, that I like this better than I like that Doctor Fate stuff is because uh, Al Gordon was a little smoother with it. Um, the um, what was it? Uh, yeah, like that. That you know they the. As I say, I was such a big fan of of the of the early Giffen stuff, and when that started to change, it's that's that that started to lose me, and eventually did, and um, and so it was you know it was years before I came back, and when I came back, it was five years later. Yeah, <laughs> and, right. I mean, and it was like what? <laughs> I mean, early Giffen is great. He does a lot of really cool things, yeah. but it's also still very house style. I think it's advancing the house style. It's it's like in it's it it's house style in the way that Perez was house style on, on right, Titans, right? right? Yeah. Like it was it was like yeah, they're kind of doing that thing that we're used to, but look at how they're doing it. And, and it wouldn't be till like Magic Wars when he like really starts his new like his style change, although a little a little earlier than that. Close, but Magic closer, Wars, yeah, well, really like kind of comes together. Um, you know, jacket issues, like you know, I mean, around conspiracy, and and uh, and that's when, yeah, he starts moving towards this more. But but this was a little more stylized than that, even. I um, yeah, I I, I got to admit I liked it, but I, but at the time, I have to say when and and I mean Pearson even took it a step further, um. And again, I appreciate it more now. When um, Eminem came on, it was like it was like a breath of fresh air, right? Because yes. it, it, it's just like okay, this is more. It, it felt more grounded, I guess is the is the word I'm looking for. And I love that he just kicked the nine panel grid to the curb because honestly, I was over it. Yeah, I was. <laughs> yeah, I was fair. Yeah. yeah, I was. It, it's well, a nice little gimmick at first, but then it becomes very limiting. Well, yes. keep in mind, yeah. Pearson was drawing it based on Giffen layouts, so Giffen yeah. was sticking with those grids. Absolutely. So Eminem doesn't have that, so he can do what he wants. It, yeah, Eminem came on to it, and it's like, here's your script. I'm the boss now. <laughs> yeah. And, well, that's, and that's what a new artist has to do. Yeah. And one of the things that um, uh, that Tom Bierbaum mentioned about how they, you know, they, they went, they tried, or they had to go more... Um, uh, superhero-y, more conventional uh-huh. after that. And, and I remember thinking that, okay, this was around the time when I started liking it better because my Legion was not dystopian and people dying like that. Yeah, and, and, and the Earth blowing up, my Legion was shiny and superheroes. And so I remember, you know, at this point, that is when things started to turn around for me. I guess it didn't turn around for enough people because, you know, spoiler alert, the beer bombs are only around for another year. Well, until their contract ran out, right? Yeah. Because right. Yeah. And that, then, that and writing then, was on the wall based upon what Tom said. By the way, that writing was contract, on the wall, like from issue four, basically. Yeah, pretty you much. Know? You're here to help Keith, and then once Keith's gone, you're gone, but... I, I, I couldn't remember talking to a DC artist at, at, the, at that time, and we were like barely... we were the Hourglass wasn't even wasn't even up yet, and um, and, and he was saying, it's like, yeah, that's that's not going to last long, you know? It's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, everyone's talking about how that's going to go away real soon, and, um, and, uh, and, and 
basically like when what Michael when you said earlier about how a lot of people were kind of sniffing around, it was true. It was true because this guy oh, yeah. I was talking to was one of them. <laughs> and, and which, which brings your job security even more in focus with Keith leaving the book every week and a half because because he, he's your backup, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, the guy he's, he's, he's the guy who in. brought us in. Yeah. And all of this stuff was going on behind the scenes. Um, you know, I didn't know anything uh, uh, except what I read in the comics or what I read in Comics Buyer's Guide. Right, and and I mean, they just they they weren't they weren't getting as deep as they as they could. I mean, well, they couldn't get that deep, right? So yeah, yeah, they really couldn't. <laughs> it exactly. got deep anyway. All righty. Anything else to add? Now, wow, we've talked a lot about this run so far, haven't we? Absolutely. We're uh, we're we're two we're we're two hours in. So, uh, oh, is, I guess it's time for history then. Is there anything? No. Does anyone have anything they want to add about this run? <laughs> I think it's really good. Well, there you go. I think it's a very iconic run. I think it matters to a lot of people in creative places. Absolutely. I th I think it was an attempt to bring new energy to a to a not going to I'm not going to call it a languishing title, but a a a long running franchise trying to inject some of that independent energy that was growing out of the uh, independent comic movement, and ultimately it clashes up against editorial concerns. And fails as a result. You, you know that's that. It's a, It's basically it's one of those lessons in uh, in 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 how comics work and how sometimes they can um, they can just really mess with stuff. You know, and it, and and it, in ways that we don't expect. And, and you know, I, and 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 that that whole idea of like. You know, because, uh, you know, as as you said, Michael, that that idea of like, OK, so we're reading this book and we're just reading the book and there's the odd interview that we get. But it's like, wait, why? Why is Monel the guy now? <laughs> right. Like, you know, it's like, OK, I know this stuff going on with 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 uh, Superman and that there's apparently no longer a Superboy because we need to take all the fun things out of Superman. Um, but uh, but, it, you know, it was it was it was a shock for sure. Mm hmm. And I think there's a reason this run is infamous, and it's not because it's bad. I just think it means a lot to people for different reasons, and I think it will be remembered for a long time. Hundred uh, percent. I can't tell you how many emails. Which... I can't tell you how many emails I get, and I and I've, I've read a bunch of them, um, where where you know what they talk about is like, man. It was brave stuff. They were they were doing something different. They were trying different things at a time that mainstream comics were, at least mainstream superhero comics weren't trying as many things as many new things and and trying to do something different. There was very much a uh, a feeling of like just get us through to the next event, and um, uh, you know a lot of the uh, because by this point a lot of the pushing the envelope stuff was getting shunted over to things like, um, like vertigo or, right. or ver the, the, you know, the, the burger verse that was the pre predecessor of, uh, of vertigo. makes you kind of wonder if this had been a long running else world or even like a vertigo, its own thing sort of thing, mm -hmm. how it may have panned out. 
I, I don't think they would put Legion in five year or in Vertigo Land. Although well, I think not this that one in particular. does belong in it. Yeah. But but think about this because at the time, um, Vertigo, you know, Vertigo has only really started to exist now, right? Yeah. Um, right. Whereas um, this book started the same the same year that that Sandman started, and <laughs> and, I, uh, and that was still part of the DC universe. And I think like you're going you're going to this is a ultimately a failure, but I think it opens a lot of doors because similar things are about to happen in Sandman and Starman and they will succeed ultimately. And and you don't and you don't get some of that without people, you know, I mean, you know, we, we talk about a guy like Tom King, who very influenced by by this run. And right. um, and, you know, his in fact, you know, his Omega Men series is a total love letter to this series. And, uh, you know, and it, and it and it is like he wears that influence on his sleeve uh-huh. with it. I and mean, it was was the ultimate flaw that the Legion of Superheroes was too high profile for this. I think Whereas so. Things that succeed are the dead franchises, the Golden Age characters no one cares about, the corners that no one cares about. That they can reinvent the wheel in. I think if they had an adult mature line at the time and then amped up the violence in the book. But they did. They like Oh, I know, but I mean yeah. more. I mean more than what we got on the page. Right, right. No, but I, what I what I mean is is that, that they, they were the starting action. to they were starting to do that with other uh, uh you know, with like a green arrow or or yeah. um you know, I mean we we talked earlier about the uh the Danny O'Neill question series, you know, these were mature readers titles that, w- that mm-hmm. were kind of, uh, kind of go, you know, pushing that, that, that side of the envelope. Um, you know, again, this was before we had, um, well, like Watchmen. Yeah. Watchmen is a mature title, but it wasn't sold with that because there was no, there wasn't I a guess. mechanism for that. There, there it wasn't was, any it kind was, of trade dress. For it that was, it time. was the thing that, the, that broke that open. Yeah. Right. And uh, and so so, you know, this was among those early series to pick up that that torch and carry it. And um, but they didn't have they, you know, they between the uh, the fuckery of the uh, of the Superman office and Superman people. Yeah. And everybody else being just too timid. um, They they you know, maybe they they were maybe they were held off a bit. Anyway, mm-hmm. so there we go. So um, I'm uh, in, indeed. I'm looking at the uh, at the mailbag. The mailbag currently is all red. So um, and I don't mean Mike all red. Um, <laughs> that's the one that gets to laugh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine. Um, so, uh, so I guess you know my thoughts of you know reading a whole pile of feedback is uh, is history. So we may as well look at other things that happened this week in Legion history. I thought Darren had a pretty good segue. So how about I, I did, but uh, it it got run over, so it's dead. Yeah, oh, I, Jim, save it for next week. Maybe we'll try it again. There you go. Yeah, uh, may, maybe not. All right. So this week in Legion history. Uh, 60 years ago, uh, November 1960, Superboy number 86. And this, of course, is the Superboy title being, uh, who is it? Who is this guy again, Paul? Uh, It would, of course, be the adventures of Superman when he was a boy. 
That's correct. In yes. what was only the fourth appearance of the Legion, uh, in the 30th century, the Legion looks backwards in time and discovers that a young Lex Luthor has lured Superboy into a trap. The man, the, sorry, the Boy <laughs> of Steel is stranded on an asteroid fighting a group of Luthor's animated crypt, kryptonite men. Yeah, sorry, Michael, you you were correct. You you said the Man of Steel when he was a boy. Yeah, I, oh. I get you. I get is you. this a, an episode of How to Catch a Predator? Is that what's going on here? No. <laughs> Lightning Lad pops in, hey, buddy, <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, we got to talk. We got to talk about the email you sent. <laughs> the, the Boy of Steel is stranded on an asteroid fighting a group of Luther's animated kryptonite men. See, that's the thing. That's the thing. You don't say Lex Luthor boy, because Lex Luthor to everybody is that bald business student in Metropolis, not Lex Luthor in Smallville. Then he was the uh, juvenile delinquent scientist. This is the juvenile delinquent scientist legion, or Luthor. Yes. Uh, Lightning Lad goes back in time to aid Superboy, and Luthor learns of the existence of the Legion of Superheroes. And I think, was it you, Jim, who talked about um, uh, continuity from story to story rather than a, a bunch of single episodes? Um, yes. mentioned it. Wait, in what, what context? Uh, in, I, I don't know. Earlier, earlier tonight. But, but this, this... Oh, oh, oh I, I remember now, yes. So this is like Luther finds out about the Legion and wonders... Well, if there's a legion of super good guys, I wonder if there's a legion of super bad guys. And that leads to a future issue in which he finds the legion of super villains. So this is just the fourth appearance of the legion. And this is um, November of 60. So we are, when did the legion first come out? February of, or cover dated April of 58. Yeah. So we're two and a half years. This is only their fourth appearance. And already they're starting to get you know, hey, we might have something here. Let's think about, you know, what are some ways that we can bring this team more? There's a world being built. There is a world being built, for sure. Yeah, they had Uh, to get Superboy out of um, Smallville because it can only rob the general store so many times in a day. (laughs) Right. Uh, 35 years ago, November 1985, uh, Booster Gold, number one, first appearance. Booster... Booster mysteriously appears in the 20th century with a Legion flight ring yes. and Brainiac 5's force field belt. Uh, also the same day, we have Who's Who, the definitive directory of the DC Universe number 12. And I will uh, do a stump the subs. Um, this issue covers Johnny Double through Kong the Untamed. Okay. And, and there are two... And only two Legion entries in this issue. Karate Kid. And? <laughs> the other one's a K. <laughs> what issue? Number 12. I think I think Jung is the last J in Husu. I may be yeah. wrong, but I so, think I'm right. So this is Johnny Johnny Double. Oh, Johnny Double. Gotcha. Through Kong, Through the, Kong Untamed. the Untamed. So uh, wait a second. We're doing, we're, we're doing so, John. Wait, 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 wait. We're doing Johnny Double as a J. Yes. Shouldn't J-O-N-N-Y he be a D? N N Y Double even. Yes. That's, but H. that's what DC Who's Who did. Is they alphabetized by the name of the feature 
And the name of the oh. feature is the character by first yeah, all, name. All okay, of the Johnnies right, are right. listed together. Like it, is this is just a Legion character, not a Legionnaire? Yeah. It's it's this a Legion. Is a Legion this is a Legion related entry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I know who it is. I know oh, who is it, it? Oh, wait, no. What's the last? K. What's what's the last letter? Kong. K O N G. O N. Yeah. So it can't be the Kun. Yeah, it can. It is. K H U N D S. Oh, it's K H. It Kuns. Yes. So those are the nice. uh, the two Very entries nice. in issue twelve. Uh, Twenty years ago, in the year two thousand, 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 uh, we had we had a DC Universe Christmas, which was a uh, trade paperback <laughs> reprint, which had the uh, Legion Christmas story from DC Special Series number twenty one, and also Legion Lost uh, number nine. Um, the team feels wary around Saturn Girl after the incident of last issue. Legionnaires cope with the possibility of never returning home. Saturn Girl speaks to Ultra Boy and then kisses him, lost in their desperation. Mm-hmm. Um, and before they can leave, they are approached by a giant fleet of the progeny. Uh, Fifteen years ago in 2005, uh, Legion of Superhero Teenage Revolution trade paperback reprints the three boots, uh, issues one through six. Eat it, Grandpa. Wish they'd had a villain uh, in those issues. Ten years ago, <laughs> um, and I think I may have written down the wrong issue for this. Uh, Praetor Lemnos Who? is a Who? is a three boot guy, not a retro boot guy, right? What? I don't know what you're talking. I, I about. don't know who he is. I... The answer to the question is yes. Okay, so what was the question again? <laughs> is the the question is what happened in Legion Volume Six, Number Seven, since it wasn't the three boot issue that uh, that I thought it was. Mm. Wait, volume. Wait, which volume? Volume Six. Yep. So this would be the the retro boot. Yeah, so the first yeah, yeah. the first retro boot series issue eleven. Seven. Seven. What's the question? What happened in it? <laughs> Oh, what happened? What happened? I'll tell you what didn't sentence? happen. It didn't have no Praetor Lemnos. That, that's for sure. A one, a one sentence summary. The Legion fought know. somebody and won. There. Okay, there you go. Uh, also, uh, in 2010, <laughs> the uh, the Great Darkness Saga d- Deluxe Edition hardcover, mm-hmm. which deluxe. starts with starts with issue 284. Four. I think it is. Yeah. Yep. The first uh, Levitz. Broderick issue. 284 to 296, I think. That sounds about right. So, Michael, you wanted the quick summary of Legion of Superheroes number 7, the 2010 series? Correct. The first strike of Durlin assassins arrives on Earth. Their goal? Kill the United Planet's leadership as revenge for R.J. Brand's death while posing as science police officers. And that was a plot that went nowhere. Well, uh, uh, I mean, they saw really. Yeah. Yeah. And then also in 2010, uh, Superman Last Stand of New Krypton, Volume 1. Um, Superman teams up with Superboy, Supergirl, Mon-El, the Legion, and a whole bunch of other people to protect New Krypton from Brainiac. And then 965 years from now, in what will have been going to happen, um, <laughs> Lightning Lad rejoins, sorry, Lightning Lass rejoins the Legion after regaining her lightning powers. 
while the Lost Legionnaires, uh, Element Lad, Chameleon Boy, Phantom Girl, Ultra Boy, and Shrinking Violet find themselves on a planet in limbo where a controller is building a new sub-sun eater. Uh, meanwhile, a Metropolis private detective is murdered, and the science police discovers that he was the descendant of Batman. Mm, yes. I'm Batman. <laughs> and that is This Week in Legion History. Outstanding. All right, then. Comments, as always, are welcome to Legion of Substitute Podcasters at gmail.com. You can join in the conversation on our Facebook page, which can be found at facebook.legionofsubstitutepodcasters.com. We are on the Twitter. We are LOSP Podcast. And in addition to all those things, you can head over to our website, legionofsubstitutepodcasters.com, where you can leave a comment on this or any episode. And with that, we make our way back into the time bubble and who knows what art style we're going to be drawing in when we get there, but we will see you all next week. Five years 